Thank you, Lord. Did you take out your styrofoam? <laughs> it just looks like styrofoam. It feels like styrofoam when you put it in your mouth. I'm like, this is the body of Jesus. This is the body of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said, take it by faith. It's funny. Thank you, Lord. This is an amazing thing. And I, and I just want to do this from the heart. Represents covenant. The reality that he really came. It just keeps your eyes and your heart fixed on him. Amen. It's not an Easter story. The gospel's not an Easter story. It's, it's not just a philosophy, and it's certainly not a fairy tale. Jesus was a man. He was God, but he came as a man in the flesh and took on the likeness of sinful flesh, and he gave his body. And what a message in that, huh? Come on, think about it. What a message through the gospel, through the cross, of our value, God's heart towards us, our potential, our destiny. Think about that. Uh, it's a whole lot more than just a good gesture, and it's a whole lot more than just forgiving your sin. It actually identifies us and locates us where God's concerned. True? The fact that he would go to the extreme of taking on flesh and shedding his blood and dying so we could live. And it's pretty intimate. That's like a powerful love thought, right? So I want you to look at that and just think about that in your heart. Not, not look at this. <laughs> look at that thought and, and think about that. That there was a body given for you that you might have life, but not just any body, a perfect, sin-free, sinless lamb. Spotless. And he came to make us that way. And because he came, we're seen that way in the eyes of the Father. Why? Because that message is designed to change our hearts. That even in imperfection, our hearts have been purified. Even in the capacity to fail or do something wrong, our hearts are changed. Come on, think about that. You live from your heart. The pure in heart. So see, the gospel's designed to change your heart. It's designed to make you care about what you didn't care about before. It's designed to make you think twice. It's designed to shift things in you. The gospel, the goodness of God, leads us to change our hearts and minds. Right? So... It makes you perfect in the sense that he died and represented you and God sees you through that blood. But even if you feel like you are not perfect in your life, I'll tell you what most of us have been made. We've been made pure in our hearts. And some people look at their life and focus on what still needs to change in an area but forget to realize how much they care about that. And the gospel made it that way. Do you get it? I just love the fact that the gospel is designed to make our hearts pure. So as you receive this this morning, do it in a very personal way, even though we're doing it corporately, and, and just get personal and realize, you know what? You died to locate me, to identify me, to give me purpose, to give me life. You really do love me. My life is worth your blood to you. It wasn't a foolish thing to you to do. It was sure a statement of my identity. So wear it today. Just take that bread right now and just see that it's his body and just take it and receive right now. All that was his is yours. Yes, that's neat. I hear some of you breaking it. His body was broken. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, we just thank you right now for the body that was given. You made yourself of no reputation, Jesus. You came in the likeness of flesh. You became a bondservant to the point of death, even death on the cross, and we thank you so much. You were a model and an example of life to follow. You're the living epistle of love. You're the son of God. 
and you were given to make us sons and daughters. We're not taking this lightly. This is more than a prayer to go to heaven. We thank you. Your spirit has come to live on the inside of us because you've made all things new. You've changed us forever. I want you to get that cup ready. Peel off the, the cap. Just get that ready. This is the blood of the new covenant. It was shed for us. It's not just any blood. It's not the blood of bulls or goats. It's not an atonement. You don't have to come back every year and make a sacrifice. Jesus took his own blood into the heavenly sanctuary and once for all, he applied his blood to the mercy seat of heaven. And through the blood of a man, yet the Son of God, God sees every man through that blood that would come by faith. That would come knowing in his own strength, in his own works, in his own ability, he doesn't measure up to God's nature and character. But by the infilling of the Spirit, by humility, by laying down our life and God's grace coming upon us, we can sure fulfill God's will. Don't believe you can't fulfill God's will. The Spirit of God will empower us. Grace will make it happen. For those that receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign as kings in life. We thank you that you're the king of kings, that you've restored us back to sonship, back to our rightful place, and we receive this right now as receiving the power of the blood and everything the blood speaks. The blood speaks so many things over our lives. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for an everlasting covenant. Thank you for an unfailing love. Mm. Just receive the blood right now and just begin to thank him in your heart what it means to you personally. Thank you. We receive covenant today. We enter in and we thank you for the covenant through the blood and body of your son Jesus. Thank you. Okay, one more, just one more thought coming in my heart. When you gave your body and your blood, you can enter into this, guys, by faith and just make this commitment in your heart if you want to. When you gave your body and your blood, you revealed that all that was yours, you gave for us. You didn't come to be served, but, but that you might serve. And then you chose to forever sit at the right hand of God and mediate on behalf of men. What an amazing, what an amazing love. And in return, we just say in the light of that exchange, that covenant, we, we give all that we are, the best we understand, we lay down our lives. Teach us what it means to lay down our lives. Holy Spirit, teach us what it means to live selfless. But the best we understand, we say all that is ours is yours. And we say, we say, I do receive your end of the covenant and your sacrifice and your kind gesture of love. And, and we do respond back with all that we are, the best we understand. And Holy Spirit, we're asking you to help us to live that way. Help us to understand what it means to be selfless. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. That's a good concept of communion that we don't talk about a whole lot. A lot of times it's just the body and the blood and the forgiveness of sin and healing, but it's also the expression of giving of your life one to another. So, amen. Okay. I've been trying to get to 1 John. I can't, I can't make it there. I was just going there and I'm not going to make it there. I, I'm just telling you. Scriptures bombard me. You don't know what, uh, what happens to me. I stand here and scriptures just start bombarding me. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 quick in light of what we just shared. 
Joan shared an awesome testimony. She, she went to the, her office on Thursday. Was it Thursday? And she just had a situation with a lady that tends to be obstinate, belligerent, outspoken, intimidating. People are intimidated by her and at the same time would kind of like secretly in their heart, like if she'd trip and fall or something. You know, It's just one of those things. Like, just, If she'd bump her head on the door jam, they'd be like, yes. You know, that's what, that's what we do. We, 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 we get intimidated by people, but when the harm comes to them, we're almost like, yeah, they finally get what they deserve or take that. Or, and, and that's the kind of lady that then, and, and she said if she'd have told her off, the people would have probably applauded her. And uh, she was actually using Joan's name and, and speaking and, 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 and belligerent. And she was left to school on Thursday and they were laughing because they have this notebook of all these notes and pages. So what are we going to do with all this? <laughs> and said, it's okay. We're just going to trust God. He can make it our reality, etc. And I, I was sharing with her in their testimony. I won't go into total detail, but she, she said just out of her mouth just came words and she even told the lady she loved her and it came out of her heart. And she was overwhelmed and she knew that she didn't have that ability in of herself, but it was just God and it released her from intimidation. It was just, it was all good. And uh, she said she knew it didn't come from her and she just had this peace. And, and uh, here's what I encouraged her in and I want to encourage you in. If you just say yes to the truth, if you just accept the truth as the truth and understand that in most cases you and you're in and of yourself have no ability to live the truth in your own strength, but but you want to. And that's not a cop-out, that's not an excuse. I'm just saying, like, you read the Beatitudes of Sermon on the Mount, it's impossible for us to live the Christian life apart from grace. Right? It just is. The Christian life's impossible because it's the nature of God in men. And it takes Holy Spirit. Right? But what I said to Joan, I said, it's a beautiful testimony because if you just say yes and you surrender the right to feel like everybody else towards that lady. You get what I'm saying? You surrender the, the right to just be right by, by pointing out her wrong. You surrender all that stuff that we've called normal. You'd be amazed how grace will touch that, that expression of faith. The pure in heart shall see God. Why? Because there's a faith in that and it releases grace and all of a sudden it's not even, she said it didn't even feel like my mouth speaking, like it wasn't me, it was just, I was just, it just came. She didn't preconceive anything, didn't think and just her words came but they came out of sincerity and obviously affected things. So what is that? That's God working in us and through us to reveal Christ. Amen? And to keep our hearts in a good place. And all of a sudden, when you have an experience like that, it actually does a lot for you personally. This way. Right? Because you realize grace is effectually working in my life. And, and God, this is a big deal. And you, you really do love me. I believe that, but I really believe that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's times in my life that I had God reality. And I knew God was real. Like right after I got saved, I'm like, you're real. Oh my God. If you just saw me the night I got saved, it was, it was a trip. I mean, you'd have thought I needed 911, a straitjacket. Because I'm living in darkness, okay? I'm living in darkness. I say I believe in God and I have no God reality. It's just a phrase. It's a coined phrase. It's a rhetorical religious phrase. And I would even told you he died on the cross for the remission of my sin, etc., etc. But I had no God reality. And now the Lord comes and says, you don't even know if God is real. And I think it's my mind. And now I realize it was God. And then I yield to him. I cry. I repent. I give myself to him. And he goes, 
like that to me. <gasps> God reality. So I'm standing at work with zero God reality. I'm consumed with myself and nothing to be consumed with. I was quite appalled at the condition of my heart. And I kept crying, saying, my life is pitiful. My life is... I, I love that process. I was so appalled. I, I was, it was such a grace on. I was so aware of how wretched I was and how pitiful my life was. And that's actually a good thing for a moment to see who you are apart from Him. That's, that's what... That's what Shift gears threw me into repentance. Like you have to be careful when somebody's in that process that you're not too quick to like, oh, it's okay, look, no, God loves you. Because there was a good, there was a good window for me to go <gasps> and look inside my heart and see that there was nothing to do with God there at all. That, that's, so that was only for a moment though. You know, you don't, you don't hang out there all day. But it, it was important for me to go, oh my God, my life is pitiful. Because I saw apart from him my life was. And that's where the Lord had told me a while, while ago that I was, on the day I got saved, I was only sin conscious for a moment. And from that moment, I've been a son in my heart. So I never looked back to the sin identity, sin consciousness, never fought with sin because I'm a son now, you're real. <laughs> you see? So you, you, know, you still walk through things, God still grows you up, but it's never again about sin, it's about son. And he had showed me that last year when I was in Tennessee during worship and made me real blubbery and and went through a lot of Kleenexes. And uh, it was just an amazing experience. But God wasn't real. And all of a sudden, he was real. And it's important to have those experiences. Uh, You're in faith, you believe you're in faith, and then all of a sudden, and you believe, and then all of a sudden, whoa, and now you believe. And, and then a little later, you might see that experience in a greater light, and all of a sudden, you believe. Well, you already believe, but now you believe. Do you know what I'm saying? It's almost like from glory to glory, faith to faith. Because what happened to me is I had several experiences. I won't go into it. It's not necessary to go through the details. But there was a time where I knew God was real the night I got saved. You're real. Because when my eyes went open, I went crazy. I, I, I literally was jumping yelling, laughing, and if you weren't watching me from a distance, you'd have thought, he cracked, he's done. Because I'm talking to the ceiling, I'm looking around, I'm jumping, I was, I was going crazy. I spun, I don't know how many times I ran, I would run, I remember running down the aisle going, oh my God, you're real! And I was screaming, and then I, I didn't know what to do, I was just flipped out. And it, that went on for quite a while, I just wonder I didn't draw a crowd and get an ambulance there. I think God just kept that for me. Because I was so loud. I remember thinking, oh my God, I got to settle down. But, but you're real. And I was like, ah. And I still remember trying to work because I thought, I need to get this order done. I got to, oh, but you're real. You're so, ah, ah. I remember working and throwing cases and I would stop every five minutes and just freak out and say, you're real. And I was crying. I was just having a fit. Well, months later, four months later, I had an experience. And all I kept saying was, oh my goodness, you're so real. Well, I already knew he was real. But now he was real. And then it was like two years later, a year and a half later, year and a half later, I had this other experience and I was undone. I was crying almost all afternoon, morning and afternoon. And then we had a home group that night and I remember being on my knees in the home group just crying, preaching and saying, don't you get it guys, he's so real. I just realized today how really real God is. And they're all looking at me like, I think 
you already knew he was real. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. He's really real. And, and they're like, uh, you already knew that. And they were like, that's why we come to your house, because we figured you already knew that, because we were having a home group for a year and a half. And, but to me, it's almost like I had just met him. It was something fresh. So the importance of communion and growing in God and releasing faith and continuing in the faith is so that you encounter those experiences. I believe God will mark the trail, if you will, of your journey that way, where where it'll be like, oh, and, 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 it, and it'll just, it's not that you're just riding a wave, you're walking in the reality of that illumination. It's not like you're just riding a momentum. You're actually walking in a, in a reality of, of an illumination, of a awakening, but all of a sudden it gets brighter somewhere along, and you can see the trail mark. If I look back in my Christian walk, the trail is marked with greater illumination. You see what I mean? And it's like, and I believe that's that faith to faith thing. So it's very important when you have those experiences because, and to continue in faith and not be discouraged and not draw back and not say whatever because you're robbing yourself of where grace wants to take you. Because that, you know, that two steps forward and a couple steps back thing, who's, that, who's ever done good with that? <laughs> it just gives you like a kind of a bull. You just lock. You, you, you kind of actually feel like you're planing out. But honestly, if you're planing out, there's really no such thing. If you're planing out, you'll find yourself not being even where you were in time. Do you know what I mean? So I want to show you this because of just even that little testimony. And I don't know. We just received communion. All that is mine is yours and yours is mine. I know you guys know this is in here. And we're going to try to get to First John because I want to talk about love a little more. And, uh, but I, I, I want you to see this. Verse 14 of Second Corinthians chapter 2. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now see, some people, we read these things as victorious. We, we, we actually can interpret these things as self-pertaining. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? You can read these scriptures and think of them for yourself. A lot of people have a scripture like this on the refrigerator because they're thinking, you know, he always gives me the victory. He always causes me to triumph. But you really have to read what he's saying. You know, we, we think it always means I'm, I'm getting this job or I'm always getting this breakthrough. I'm always getting this promotion. And, I'm always, and he's always leading me in triumph in, in Christ. Well, I'll tell you what triumph really is. It's when you're in the world and not of the world. Okay, when, when, what triumph is, is when you got a lady acting like that and everybody's being intimidated and moved and the grace of God is building your life in such a way where it has no authority over you. It has nothing, there's nothing there to move you. There's nothing in you pertaining to that. And there's a triumph in that. When nobody can find a place of peace and you have peace. Do you understand what we're saying here? I want you to see why I'm preaching it this way. Because a lot of times we read it self-pertaining. Well, God always causes us to triumph. And then we look at our life this way and feel like we're not winning. Who's ever done that? You you saw these promises, but you interpreted them in a self-pertaining way, like my circumstances and just my needs being met and all that. Because we preach it that way all the time, the gospel. We always make it about us receiving something out here from God. The gospel is all about us receiving something here from God so that our expression is Jesus. Do you get it? Okay. When you put on your fridge, he always calls us to triumph, you have to really understand why you put it on there. 
It's, it's not just so that everything goes your way because what people do is then they challenge those scriptures in their mind and think, man, it doesn't seem that way because they're misunderstanding what he's really saying. Watch where he's, he, he goes right into this. Watch. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us, through us, Man, you can't miss this. This is God's intention. This is God's will in your created value. Through us. Not through some mysterious release of, of his presence. Not just a mist. Not some impersonal thing out here. Through you. Through us. Watch. Diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Where? Everywhere. You get it? When you're in the world and there's all kinds of stuff going on around you and you're diffusing the fragrance of his knowledge, that's a place of triumph because you're not being influenced by the world around you. You're being moved by the Spirit of God in you. Does this make sense? It's a simple principle, but it's huge in our lives. And I want you to see what triumph means. Now watch this. For we, look who we are to God. I don't know if you woke up realizing this this morning. But we are to God the fragrance of Christ. You're the one that releases the knowledge of him in the earth. To God, you're the go-to person. To God, you're the message of Christ to the saved and unsaved. You're the expression of Christ. See what it's saying. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. It's not just God waking up in the morning and looking down over the earth and going, oh, my kids. Okay? That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> to God were the expression and revelation of Christ to the world. Do you hear that's what it's saying? We're the, okay. Ephesians chapter one, real quick. I don't know why we're going here, but other than, I mean, I know why, but I just, it just, there feels like there's a point we need to make here for some reason. Okay. Ephesians 1. See, you've, okay. You, you got to take this thing so personal. This is what keeps, these kind of thoughts is what keeps the gospel from just becoming a doctrine that you believe. Because it's a relationship you have with him. Do you know how easy it is to just have a doctrine you believe in? And then you push your doctrine and you sit at a lunch table and people don't quite believe the way you believe and then your whole conversation is just trying to voice what you believe in the face of what they believe. And you could do that and they have no expression of Christ and actually get frustrated and just be mad they don't believe what you believe. Or you can just get proud and push your belief and try to be right at the table and, and all of a sudden you can smell burning flesh or something. It just doesn't smell like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> your, 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 your doctrine can take the place of knowing him in relationship and you can just let your identity rest around the things you know. Do you know what I'm saying? So here's God telling us he always calls us to triumph and through us diffuses his knowledge in every place. So we are absolutely, you say, well, I know this, but think about it. We are absolutely the body of Christ. Come on, that's a big deal. We are absolutely, and I'm not saying that so you shout. What I'm saying is, 
that I'm, we got to let those things get our attention. It's not a doctrine. We are absolutely the body of Christ. A body expresses the thing inside. It's God put flesh on love. God put flesh on his own nature. He made man. He, he gave us flesh and made us in his likeness. Jesus took on flesh so he could express and model the truth. Right? You live from the inside out. You speak from the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Clean the inside of the cup, the outside will be clean. You know a man by his fruit. That means you know a man, the inside, by the life he's living. Right? So the body expresses what's on the inside. True? We're the body of... Christ, the Bible calls us that. The body of Christ. And through us, we're the fragrance of God. Through us, he diffuses his knowledge everywhere. And we are to God, we are to God the expression of his son. Come on, that's God. To God, that's who we are. So he's going to us. It's like a, it's like a, a, a coach calling in somebody into the game. It's the go-to guy. He's calling in a relief pitcher. He's calling in. He's, it's, 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 we're, we're God's go-to. We're the body of Christ to the world. You get it? We're the expression of Christ. It's a big deal. So I want you to see that. That is so much bigger. And I say this all the time, and I think you guys know this by now, but that's so much bigger than going to heaven. That's so much bigger than praying a prayer in a self-serving way. That's so much bigger than just getting right with God so you feel good. There's, it's more than just about you being okay. Do you get it? <laughs> Amen, brother. No, that's good. I was like, it got so quiet and peaceful in here. I thought, he's a, he's a, he's a minister of quiet and peace. <laughs> See that? <laughs> it just calms the undue chatter of the world. Way to go, John. <laughs> Peace be still. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that was quiet. I was like, wow, that was a good deal. <laughs> Watch this in Ephesians 1. And I, and I preached this out so many times times over the years but there's something I want so I'm sure you guys heard this explained and expressed plenty of times even in other teachings but Ephesians 1 he's talking about verse 11 in in him we obtained an inheritance and we're predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to counsel's will so we're predestined according to the purpose of God you are so the choice of God. You've got to get intimate with this. That's why I took you to Ephesians 1 when he did our meditating in the word thing and, and in the sanctuary. He works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be found to the praise of his glory. Isn't that amazing? So God has given us the privilege of bringing glory to his name, our lives. Now you can take that serious or you can let that just kind of roll off your back. I, see, that's something you take serious. 
You take that serious in an intimate place of prayer. God, you have given me the privilege of bringing glory to your name. Not to my name. It's not just about me and how people are treating me and how things are going. You've given me the privilege of bearing witness of your great name. God, I believe that's eternal. I believe that'll leave a legacy. You know what? I, I, I don't have time to get impatient and, and, and just the doldrum of life and just whatever will be, will be. You've given me a great honor in the earth and I take it to heart. It would be good to talk even to your own soul that way. Serious. When you're praying, it's good to just talk to your own soul that way. Because it would be easy to just slip into a whatever or life just comes and goes and years go by. Just come on, years could just go by. And you're in church and all that and after a while you're like, where's my life really been? You know, and sometimes we don't even want to face that because it seems like years go by and then we don't even want to face that. You almost force yourself into some realm of, of whatever. And, and, and this is a big deal. Look, that we who trust in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. We can bring praise to his name. We can reveal his glory. The grace of God is with us, guys. He is so with us. He has so raised us up and called us out of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. He so delivered us from darkness and filled us with light. Come on, that's a big deal. So that when the lady's doing what she's doing in the office, you, you don't have to be afraid, intimidated, ashamed, or, or worse yet, just take her anger personal and let it shame you or slam you or dishearten you or discourage you or frustrate you. Right? And all of a sudden this thing called love rises up and you actually see her through a whole different eye and you actually have the ability to love her and feel for her and show mercy because she's not having a good day. And the reason people aren't having a good day is because they're not living through a clear eye. So it's bigger than their day, isn't it? So that eye changes, they're not going to have a good tomorrow. <laughs> you know, we say to people, yeah, they're always like that. Every time I see them, they're this, they're that. They're, it's because their eye. You have to understand it's not them, it's what they're seeing or not seeing. Man, we ought to have mercy on that. But here's what Paul, here's what he's writing, watch. To him who uh, also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now he's your guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And, and that's all things made complete and, and in full and, and to the praise of his glory. Now look at this. Therefore, because of all this, I also, now I love this, he says, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you and mention you in my prayers. Now, I love that because here's what we've grown up doing. You tell me if this is what been a mentality you've been around. We pray for people that don't know God to get born again and pray the prayer. And we pray for them to pray the prayer. And as soon as they pray the prayer, we go, yay. And then we target somebody else that didn't pray the prayer. Who grew up with that mentality? That's, that's been a mentality in my life, right? Here's Paul. He says, man, now that I've heard you prayed the prayer, now that I heard you're a Christian, I haven't stopped praying for you, Daniel. Giving thanks for you and making a mention of you in my prayers. Why? Why? So that God would what? The Lord, God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Here's what Paul's literally saying. Now that I've here, Daniel, you've submitted to Christ and you've accepted Him and believe He's the way and you've become a Christian. I haven't stopped praying for you so you see why you're a Christian. 
We think pray and the prayer is the end. Pray the prayer and get your name in the book, yay, and then just target people to pray for them that haven't prayed that prayer yet. Even Jesus said, I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for these. That doesn't mean you don't intercede for hearts to open and proclaim that men are hungry for God, etc. But what the focus was is that Jesus' men were equipped, established, graced, and anointed to impact and be the fragrance of his knowledge everywhere. Because that's how men will change, right? Isn't that, see, do we see that? Or do we think it's just some other way? That's how men will change. Right? Now watch. I don't cease to pray for you that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, I love that, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that, now watch this, that you may know, that, I didn't look that word up, but that's probably epinosis, that's probably experiential understanding, that you would know. It's, it's, it's more than gnosis. Gnosis is just, you know, I know. Uh, uh, knowledge, knowledge, two plus two is four. Gnosis, okay? But I know that he loves me. You can gnosis that he loves you. You can know he loves you just through the word and say, oh, and just grow up. Yeah, God loves me. But then you can know God loves you. It's a deeper sense of knowing. It's epinosis. It's experiential understanding. Like, I've experienced him. I've tasted him and seen that he is good. Did you get it? That's probably what that word is. I don't know if somebody could search that. Donna, you got your little computer thing. Is no epinosis? Can you check that for me? Full discernment. Yeah, what's the Greek word? Yeah, epinosis. Epignosis. That's what I thought it was. That's a, a full discernment, a revelation knowledge. Uh, uh, it's a, it's a experiential is, is one of the definitions, best definitions I've found when I studied out the word epinosis over the years. Experiential understanding. Like my heart has realized. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay. Now listen to what he's praying. He's not just praying that your heads agree. He's praying that you get touched deeper by the Spirit of God that your heart says, oh, wow, yes. There's a difference. Relationship and communion with God is what does that. <gasps> right? That's why we talk about knowing Him. To know Him is eternal life. To know Him. You know, not know about Him. That's gnosis. Okay, that's a good there. Thanks. I was just didn't want that to be muddy. Okay, gnosis, just head knowledge to know about Him. Right? That's like to know this young man. You just know about Him. You've seen Him in church. You've bumped into Him at the school. And then you hang out with him and you exchange hearts and you pray together and you talk together on an hour-long ride and, and after a while you're beginning to what? Know him. It's, it's an epinosis knowledge of Daniel where before I just knew who he was. Do you, make, do you get the difference? Okay, relationship will take you into gnosis. But he's actually praying for a grace and a move of the Holy Spirit in such a way that our hearts realize, that our hearts awaken, that we know him. Now, it must be pretty important to Paul that we live from that place of revelation. If now that he heard they were Christians, he didn't just go, yay, they're in, and then go evangelize somebody that wasn't. He actually heard they were, they were in and they were agreeing and believing the gospel. So now he prayed that they would get overtaken with revelation, that it would become their reality, and that they would know God more. Now watch what, he's, what, he, what, he, what he writes here. This is really amazing to me. He says, a wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that the eyes of your understanding be what? 
enlightened, open, woe, that you may know, that you may know, epinosis, what is the hope of whose calling? <laughs> Not your calling, always <laughs> my calling. <laughs> I want to know my calling. Well, he wants you to know the hope of his calling, <laughs> and it's to be like Christ. That's, that's everyone's calling, is to be like Jesus, the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For to God, you're the fragrance of Christ. So what's his calling? That you know him and become like him. True? Do you see it in the scriptures? Do you see how much bigger this is than just being a confessing Christian? Oh my goodness, there's life to this. There's expression to this. What are the riches of the glory of whose inheritance? His inheritance in the saints. Not what we get now that we're in. A lot of times that's our focus. What God can give me and do for me. Mick. Yeah, I often found it interesting verse 17. Verse 17 in the King James. That he might give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Just that he's saying that to Christians, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, means that we should seek it. Seek it. That it's not a given. It's not something that just fell on your lap when you got born again. That's a good... In other words, I need illuminated. I want to know you more. You have touched my heart in a way that I've said yes to who you are, and I want to know you. Do you get it? You see that? That's a good, excellent point. In other words, he's praying for these, like, like the person of Holy Spirit. It says in Luke, if we being of evil nature know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? Some people teach that it's just one big package that comes on you, but there's a place for asking and receiving and entering into covenant relationship and union with the person of Holy Spirit. There's a place for that to be realized and recognized. Like almost introduced him to you and you to him. You see? You do that through communion and fellowship. And, and, and if any of you are in a place where you got hung up on the whole baptism of the Holy Spirit, especially because of the, 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 the tonguey issue, and, and it, you know, then it gets to be a stronghold, and you're thinking, you know, just how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to who? So ask and it shall be given so don't let it become a stronghold in your head and think well if I'm not praying in tongues I don't have the Holy Spirit and make tongues the only outward evidence it's, you do everything from the heart I know people that haven't prayed in tongues but communed in fellowship with Holy Spirit and believed he was there and began to get to know him as a person and at some point in time that thing that actually became a stronghold because the way it was taught or you're in rooms come on you can do it just, 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 just open up your mouth or just make these syllables or just pray yabba dabba do backwards or just do something. That's, people do that stuff in little circles and then they get bad experiences and then they get, they get tonguey in their mind and they're, am I making this up? Well, this is gibberish. Stop all that. Holy Spirit, thank you. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you give me. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I thank you. You desire to come. I know somebody that prayed and talked to him for three months. Three months. And just worshipped him and thanked him and appreciated his wisdom in their life. And every time they read, they communed with Holy Spirit as if he was right there. They had never prayed in tongues. They had never, they, they, in fact, that was kind of an issue. And then their spouse called them from out of town and was going through a crisis. And their spouse started to cry on the phone. And they had never heard their spouse in a situation like that. And being out of town, it really grabbed their heart, newly married. And when they hung up, the spouse hung up crying and, and a little distraught and, and, and she said, oh my goodness, I gotta pray. 
I gotta pray. And, and she was kind of overwhelmed because she never heard her spouse like that. And she, she went to pray and she knelt down to couch and she just started praying in just the most beautiful tongues for her husband. And she just was crying and just praying and, and then had her prayer language from then on. But what was she doing for three months? <laughs> you're in me, you're with me, you're my best friend. She wasn't going, boy, I wish I'd get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm never afraid of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's what we do. No, Holy Spirit, you're right here. And you love me and you love to be here and you love to live in me. Yeah, you've made me fit for a home. Thank you for living here. You get it? How much more will the Father give the How do you know you're going to heaven? Who's going to heaven here? Who actually has eternal life? How do you know? You just know, you believe, you know by faith. How do you receive Holy Spirit? By faith. Is there some outward evidences? Yeah, but don't get hung up on them and subvert faith and start living by feelings and outward experiences. You get it? Because that's what we do. Because we have some out. Look how quick we, we go central. Because we have some outward evidences in the Bible, then we look at them to gauge and throw away faith. Do you get it? <laughs> and so don't do that. Commune with him. Consuela. Um, in verse 17, when it says, the spirit of wisdom yeah. and revelation, is that first two questions, is that talking about the Holy Spirit? And how does that apply when you read on to where it says the knowledge of him and the way you just explain what knowledge means? So how does, can you make sense? Yeah, it's, it would just see it, a lot of times when you see the word spirit, small s, P-I-R-I-T, you can actually, and you won't, do, you won't do injustice in most places if you even uh, interpret that as grace. The Spirit, it's a, it's a form of grace. It comes by the Spirit, but it's a form of grace, an impartation of grace that brings knowledge and wisdom and revelation. Do you get that? The uh, Romans 8, you can study this out, and a lot of people don't make this distinction, but it says that there's no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Who do not walk according to the, but according to the Spirit, small S-P-I-R. It's actually talking about, if you really dig into that and look in the light of all that he's talking, he's talking about living by grace versus works. And if you live in a legalistic mindset and you live by your works, you'll walk in condemnation because you're living by the flesh. We hear the word living by the flesh and we think it just means living in conscious sin or practicing sin, living by the flesh, the works of the flesh are evident. We, we attach it to that. No, the whole context of chapter seven is dying to the old, the law, so that we could be married to another. He actually uses marriage and dying and a spouse dying to be joined to another. He actually is talking about we're dead to this so we can be alive to this. This died, now this can live. We can be reunited, rejoined, remarried and it's a new covenant through Christ because when he looks at himself, he sees the wretched man that he is who can deliver me from this. I thank God that through Jesus Christ, yay! And then he says, so now there's no more ever again any condemnation if we're in Christ. Of course, as long as you don't live according to your own strength, your own ingenuity, your own ability, your own works, and not according to the grace that flows through Holy Spirit in Jesus. That's what Romans 8 actually means. 
when it says living by the flesh and living by the spirit. And then he goes on to read, and, and you can see how what the law was weak and, and couldn't accom- what the flesh couldn't accomplish, etc. God did by sending his son. And he goes on, right? And, and then he gets into about verse 11, 12. He says that we're not those that walking in the flesh is, is death, but walking in the spirit is life and peace. So to walk by your own strength, your own ability, your own ingenuity, trying to work your way to God is a dead end street, right? But by the grace of God, you're already in. So that's what he's talking about in Romans 8. So a lot of times when you see that by the Spirit, so there's a grace that flows. I'm praying that God would grant you a grace for your eyes to see what's there to be seen that you couldn't see on your own, right? Because it's not a head knowledge thing, it's a heart knowledge thing. In fact, with the heart a man believes, not with his head. Don't ever forget that. You want your heart alive. It'll stay alive through communion and fellowship with him. And you just submit your heart to him and thank you, Holy Spirit, for illuminating my heart. I, I like to I like to connect the word understanding with heart, not head. Your understanding. You believe with your heart, not your head. <laughs> Do you get it? With the heart a man believes. It's Romans ten. Not his mind, with his heart. Ah, and with his mouth he makes confession unto salvation. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You'll find the understanding is very connected to the heart of man. Okay? Because knowledge puffs up, love edifies. All right? So, uh, so it'd be a good thing. People, people get deceived into one of the strategies of Satan is to get you to question your heart by looking real introspectively into your life and, and looking at fruit or actions or lack of actions and then judging your own heart. There's a lot of Christians that take the uh, occupation of judging their own heart all the time and the reason they do it is because they actually care. If they didn't care, they wouldn't even be doing it. So sometimes you need to back off of that and realize and, and start giving your heart to him in prayer and thanking him that he has the jurisdiction of your heart, your heart and my heart. This is a prayer I've prayed for years. Thank you that your heart and my heart are one. Thank you that our hearts are one. Thank you that all that you are is in me. I yield all that I am to you so that all that you are is in me and I thank you that we're one. We're one. Do you get it? And it keeps you in a good, healthy view of your own heart. And then out of your heart, your mouth starts speaking. You can hear uh, people's hearts aren't established. People's identity aren't established. Their understanding isn't firmed up. And then they'll say little stabbing things to their own self. Or, or in their conversation, you'll hear just a little stinger towards their own character. And then they're speaking out of condemnation or things that are unsettled here. Do you know what I mean? I tell people, man, like, like just, you, you don't realize how subtly detrimental it is when, when we're taught this way and you're doing something in the house and you say, oh, you dummy. Serious, people do that. Oh, you dummy. No, you're not a dummy. You made a mistake or you did an accident, but we're taught that way. Oh, you dummy, that you are what you just did. You are what you just did. Now, how common is that growing up to talk to yourself that way? Oh, you stupid knucklehead. Why do you always... Oh, you'll never get it. People talk out loud about themselves that way when they're frustrated. It's not a good thing. 
Because <laughs> Jesus isn't saying that about you when he's hanging there. He's not saying, oh, you dummy, you'll never get it. He's saying, you're created in my image, and I believe you'll get it, and I'm dying for you, so how about getting up and living? <laughs> you know what I mean? So you have to be very careful you're not d- detrimental to the very thing that's trying to work life in you. And, and it's just not good. At, see, when you, well, I'm just going to make a strong statement. When you get a strong, established identity and understand who you are, that you won't have to try not to put yourself down. It just won't, ha- it won't even come out of your mouth. It's not there. If you're putting yourself down, it's because there's something still unestablished and unsettled and you're still seeing yourself for weakness instead of strength. Okay, I don't know who that's for, but that's just to help somebody to not be your own worst enemy here. Doing all the right things this way and then cutting it off here. You know, don't do that. Okay, the glory of his inheritance in the saints and and that that all has that all has good significance there. I, I don't feel like I need to take the time for that right now. But look at verse nineteen. And what is the exceeding greatness of whose power? His power toward who? Toward us who believes. Now look look at this. This is what. This is what you and I are literally compelled by the gospel to grow into and not create theology based on lack of power, unanswered prayer, and circumstances. The biggest risk we run is defining a theology in our own heart and mind based on the life we've lived or the way life's been. It's the biggest tragedy. To try to find God through the things that have and haven't been this way. It's the biggest tragedy. It's the biggest mistake the church makes. That we can do it easy. Watch. The exceeding, listen to the language, exceeding greatness, which means more than enough power necessary. Okay? Greater than any power. The exceeding greatness of his power toward who? Toward us who what? So believe is a big deal. Being fully convinced, firmly established. Right? To believe. See, wouldn't you agree that the thing we toss around the most concerning the power of God is our belief? We say we believe when we need to, then we don't see the result and we question encounter and our, and, 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 the, and our belief gets tossed around like a hot potato almost. It's like we want it, we want to believe, but, but how many of us can honestly say we're firmly established in our heart that we're God's choice, God's image is in us, God's power is in us, the Holy Spirit's in us, there's nothing we're lacking on His end towards us. We have everything necessary to subdue the earth, to move in power, to manifest the glory of God, and it is yes and amen from heaven I have a yes and amen period across the board the power of God is in me not a lot of people sometimes we say that but the way we live and back off of things we reveal that we don't truly believe that you understand what I mean because we'd put ourselves in more situations we'd probably get involved in more things we'd take more faith risks and just step out the life that we live reveals the faith that we live in. Like at the end, it's not going to be a list of questions. Did you believe this? Did you believe this? Did you believe this? Your life reveals what you believe. Your life lived is the evidence of what you believe or don't believe. It's just your life lived. You know them by their fruit. You're judged according to your works. Why? Your works don't save you. Your works are the expression of your belief. You follow me? Come on, that's convicting. It's good. It's not overwhelming. It's just good. You, you know them by their fruit. So the established tree 
Remember, it's always about the tree. Make a tree good. His fruit will be good. You know them by their fruit. So in the end time, in the judgment of man, your life lived will reveal what you believed. Like, these signs shall follow those that believe. They will lay their hands on the sick. That's the first sign. We get so hung up on the healing side that we fail to just get our hands on the sick to show that we're believing. We try to explain. We're trying to get a grip. We're trying to move in a supernatural way where we know when we touch them, they're going to poof, be healed. We get all that going on in our heads and fail to just step out and lay our hands on to show our belief. The first sign of a believer is just get your hands on the sick. You're not sick, but get your hands on the sick, right? Just get your hands on the sick, okay? Just get get your hands on the sick. Serious, just touch them. It doesn't even say pray for them. It actually says get your hands on them. There's a powerful thought there. You could teach that out. There's, there's, there's places. My wife in school, she can't just publicly, openly pray without causing a bunch of stuff in the public school as a teacher. But she can lay her hands on them. She has a lot of testimonies of stuff like that. She'll just rub just what I was doing to him, except, sorry about your hair. She, she just, she'll rub their little shoulders. She'll get behind them while they're doing a paper. And she, she knows they're not feeling well. And they're sniffing and they're doing all this stuff. She'll just rub their little shoulders and in her heart, thank you for making them whole. Father, I just thank you for your love for this little child. And then she'll be talking and instructing them on what they're doing and she'll just rub their little shoulders. And she'll just believe in, believe in God. There's so many testimonies. Kids that can't learn. Kids that, that don't get it. Kids that are extra introverted and quiet and, and, and should just pray over them. And, and actually, this is a, a, a true, just amazing, real testimony of being there for, this is like 12 years. I think she's in her 13th now. I thought it was 11. She told me it's like 13. I was like, oh. And uh, they've brought administrators, they've brought school people in to monitor the class to see what the teacher's doing so different as curriculum because of the results of the kids because they don't understand because the teacher's getting the curriculum where every other teacher's getting the curriculum but there's a difference there's faith in the room there's love towards the kids and the spirit of God's being released and all of a sudden they're learning in an extraordinary way because there's a spirit of wisdom and revelation in a sense there's a grace in the room right now watch this Traditionally, since she's been there, every year, to my knowledge, every year her class, they, she gets the class that's way behind. They're, they're borderline special needs. They're way behind. Like they don't, they don't know anything, that preliminary little thing they do when you're coming into kindergarten. They give you that little, they don't know anything. So they put them all in this class to try to teach them and bring them somewhere. Traditionally, her class has been equal with or above every class that started on track since she's worked there. That's overwhelming. It's making me feel emotional right now. That's overwhelming. One reason. Lay your hands on the sick. 
Just believe in God. Just release in faith, caring enough. Looking at the little kids, which that part might seem easy, but you still have to believe God's doing it and God will do it because they come from no attention backgrounds. They come from drug abuse backgrounds. They're on the borderline of of just city living and there's a lot of tragic situations. And uh, she she comes home sometimes and tells me stories about kids. She'll cry every once in a while and say, can can we just pray for so-and-so and say their name? But then that builds faith in her heart. And then she'll go back into school and then when she's sitting there loving on them and she's touching them, guess what she's able to do? Release faith and believe God's coming. And there's actually someone called Holy Spirit ministering to that child. And all of a sudden that child is just understanding what they weren't able to understand. All of a sudden that that child is just kind of held at bay in an area where they were out of control. All of a sudden there's a peace where there was a restlessness. Why? Because she prayed and prophesied and declared? No, because she laid her hands on believing that the Spirit of God would live in her and flow through her and touch that little child. Do you see that? It's important. Never even praying out loud. Isn't that cool? So you're not limited. God's not limited. It'd be, it'd be nice if it would be an atmosphere you could pray out loud and release our faith. Sometimes I think that's more for us because we get stirred up in what we hear. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. So a lot of times we pray and, and we want to pray a certain way or people pray a certain way and we want them to pray because when they pray it stirs us because we hear the word and whatever. But it's already alive. God already knows who he is. He doesn't need reminded and he's not in any kind of identity lack. He's not like, I wish somebody would encourage me and just tell me more about my power so I could like get a surge going here. Come on, that's not the reality. God is God. He is that he is. <laughs> okay? So a lot of that's designed for us to get this soul whipped into a place of spirit living. Even worship, I, I really believe, and I know some people might not uh, like that idea, cause, but, but, and I do believe we can please the heart of God in worship, but I think worship is every bit as much for us as it ever is for God because it keeps our eyes fixed on His nature, the beauty of who He is, our right and access to His presence, and I believe worship is a beautiful thing that we can do because it keeps our heart alive in Him. I don't, I don't think it's... I don't think it's a lot of times what we think it is. I, it's, it's for us in a good, healthy, spiritual way. It keeps us fixed. Yeah. Because he's very encouraged. He's God. <laughs> he's amazing. But I, I, I believe our worship touches his heart. I do believe that. So I won't say too much more on that. But look, at, look at verse 19. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? So that's the power that's more than enough toward us who believe. Now now look at this. According to the working, according to the working of his mighty power. Man, I was fasting for, for a long time one time and just meditating on this scripture. Because I felt like I, I need so much more of this as a revelation in my life. And I still could probably just do a, a, a... I was just fasting. It was a long period of time. time. Time's not really important. It was just an extended fast and meditating on the Scripture so that it would come alive in me. And it's neat how when you do that stuff with purpose and intent, how you start seeing more release of the Spirit and response and miracle stuff. It, it really is amazing. 
which he worked in Christ. So this power is exceedingly great according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ. Look at this. When he raised him from the dead. So the power of God that defeated death and broke the stronghold of death off of Jesus and raised him up is the agreeing power that he's talking about, the exceeding greatness of his power in agreement with the same power he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. Do you see that there? Who's that power toward? Us. Us who believe. Now, he's not just talking about getting us out of a jam and delivering us from trouble. He's talking about that power in us flowing through us. Do you get it? He's talking about us carrying that power and ministering that power. How, how we can, as a church at large, be in such derision over this topic is, is almost beyond my understanding in the sense of how clear the word is. The only reason there's derision is because we lean on all our experiences and lack of experiences and we make them the topics of doctrine. We let the experiences of our life determine the identity of God. It's just the biggest fallacy there is. It's, it's the biggest, yeah, but you don't understand my aunt and we all prayed and yeah, but, and then the real sentimental ones, yeah, but I had a little son and you're telling me and da, da, da. And there's, there's a lot of issues and hurt and loss and sentiment and pain out there. And, and, and we're trying to survive now. Now we're trying to survive because it's been so tough apart from understanding. See, because honestly, the gospel's designed so powerfully that if you have a clear, healthy understanding in the face of the worst described tragedy, there's a place of grace and peace because of the big picture eternal view. Is there still physical loss? Of course. We'd be fools to say there isn't. But it probably doesn't have to be as traumatic as we think because of the knowing. Serious. Because of the knowing. There can actually be a place of rejoicing. There can actually be a place of honor and extreme worship of God for the blood in the face of great physical trauma and loss and and spouse and children and close relatives. There can actually be an expression of God, your grace that saves us. Thank you for the blood. Why? Because without that, this would just be death. And it would be loss and it would be finality. There has to be a place in Christ to walk and live that way. See, the disciples didn't understand that before the cross because they were gripped by the fear of the bondage and the power of death. But he defeated him who had the power over death. And it says that we are free from the fear of the bondage of death. Hebrews 2, that through our whole lifetime we were held bondage by. That's why when Jesus said, listen, I'm going to be turned over. Could you imagine the disciples sitting here and he's saying, listen, guys, You know, I'm going to be turned over to the hands of sinful men. They're going to beat me. They're going to flog me. And I'm going to be crucified. And they're going, huh? Yeah. And, and, but on the third day, on the third day, I'm going to rise. They're so stuck on what he had just said. I'm going to be crucified. They couldn't hear. But on the third day, I'm going to, they didn't even hear it. Because all they're doing is going, you're going to die? What? You're going to die? They were so gripped by death that when he mentioned death, they couldn't even hear he's going to rise. You think about that. Over and over, he told them. Five to six times you can find where he told them in separate occasions, I'm going to die, but I'm going to live. 
I'm going to die. Oh, that's why I always keep saying about the Matthew videos because they're so explicit. Like when he's telling, that's why I did the, th- the thing. He says, he says, now listen, in Matthew, he says, I'm going to be turned over. He tells the whole thing. He lays it all out for him. He says, and, 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 and the Son of Man will be crucified. And the guys are sitting there and they're like, what? And he says, but on the third day, and he's smiling, but on the third day, I'm going to rise. And in the very next line, and they were all filled with grief. <laughs> it's the very next line. <laughs> now what was going on? Sentiment. Human emotion. Natural thinking. <gasps> You're going to die? What? They couldn't even hear. You, you think they would have said, wait a minute. What do you mean? The third day, you're going to die, but the third day, what? You mean you're going to raise, you're going to die, but you're going to raise from the dead? Not even, that wasn't even, that wasn't even in the thinking. It said, and they were all filled with grief. Why? Because all they could hear is, you're going to die. And watch this. (sighs) I got to say it. I don't like percentage stuff, but it's here. 90 almost 9% of Christians today are in the fear of the bondage of death. That's almost everybody in this room. I hated to say it because it feels like I'm judging you. Death moves us because we lack a revelation of life and life everlasting. And death moves us. Death has a voice and it shouldn't. It's never, ever, ever about death. It's always about life. Always. <laughs> Come on. Be challenged by it if you must, but think it's always about life. It's never about death. Think about it. Even in a miscarriage, even in a tubal pregnancy, and they have to take the little that was life. Don't think that it's gone. And don't think that it's an embryo floating around in heaven. Why wouldn't God in his majestic wisdom, his majesty, immeasurable wisdom, just bring that baby to fruition in length of days? Poof! Why? Because death shall have no dominion. Death can't defeat now that life has come. It's like light swallows darkness. Life swallows up death. Come on! So you need a revelation like that. You know, you, you got abortions. You got all these babies being aborted. And, 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 and Satan in his aggression to kill and steal and destroy and put condemnation and the, the measure of sin over humanity. Just, just abortion, abortion. And now it's millions of babies aborted. But on the flip side, grace abounds where sin abounds. Grace abounds much more. The, the Satan can't ever outdo righteousness. He can't, he'll never, God will never be out, outdone or upstaged by the enemy. So it looks like to the Christian mind, who knows that to get people in a place where abortion isn't a possibility, to get people in a place to be diligent with their lives and responsible, who knows that's all where we're to be heading. But on the flip side, in the face of the tragedy of abortions, God can't lose. Watch this. All these millions of babies instantly in his presence because of the blood. Instantly. In Satan's haste to kill and destroy, he's thrusting millions into God's presence for eternity that might have lived rejecting him. 
that might have lived for Satan, that might have been warlocks and witches, that might have just turned new age, that might have got in the church and got hurt and got hard and worked against the kingdom and died. And they're with him forever. So in Satan's haste to kill, he guarantees millions of souls into the kingdom of heaven because of the blood of Jesus that speaks over humanity. And because of innocence, because a child has never sinned, he was formed in iniquity in his mother's womb, but he doesn't have the knowledge of sin. He didn't willfully sin. He doesn't even know. And the blood of Jesus just, poof, wash him clean, innocence. <gasps> Satan... See, he can't, he, he's aggressive and he's still kill, destroy, steal, kill, destroy, steal. <sighs> kill the Son of God and I win. Kill and you lose. Abort, 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 abort. Yeah, yeah. Condemnation, sin. <sighs> He'd be better off just backing off and letting humanity just roll and letting the kids just be born and letting the chips fall where they may because we've done enough through history to teach that sometimes we're our own worst enemy and and we hurt ourselves and and even when we do preach it's in spite of and against and because of and all the wrong motives and who knows a lot of those people that were aborted might have done a lot of good for the kingdom of darkness but guess where they all are Forever in his presence. Watch this. Watch this. Never knowing sin. Never knowing what it is to rebel against mom and dad. And only ever knowing him. And never even running the risk of missing him for eternity. That kind of stuff's powerful. Miscarriage is the same way. Instantly. A tube of pregnancy instantly. Wisp into the, the baby, just whoosh, to the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Instantly. A little baby. There's mothers, you'd have a miscarriage and say, oh my goodness, I, I so wanted to hold that baby. And I so wanted God. But in the light of the big picture. Whew, and every time the possible due date would come around or the birthday or now you know the baby would be five. And the tendency is, the human tendency is to weep for a week ahead of time because you see that day. And then the day they'd be graduating possibly and now everybody in the school's graduating and here you are 18 years later still in grief and remorse because of what wasn't. And there's people that live their whole life that way sentimentally and they gauge their whole life from event to event to event. And it seems right. It seems like nobility. It seems like noble to the cause and true to the child that was lost. It almost feels like a dedication to it, if you will. But the greatest thing you can do is every time one of those moments would come up is to lift your heart and lift your hands and praise God for the blood that has embraced little Billy or Bobby or Susie or Sally into the presence of God forever. And all they've ever known is your face. All they've ever known is your presence. And I so honor you for the blood oh it would be great if they were graduating today and I could have mothered them for the last 18 years but for the last 18 years they've been in your presence I honor you and worship you for the honor of bringing life into the world and right into your glory there's a faith there there's a power there that we're probably not teaching we're just sentimental and we live by the flesh and we live by feelings and we feel like we have to accommodate those feelings and be real and face reality. Everything I'm saying is reality. Amen. Is it wrong to cry? Is it wrong to miss and have physical? Absolutely not. But when it's at the cost of growth and production and it's a grieving that's out, the, out of the boundaries of faith, it's not productive. Do you follow what I'm saying? 
then you'll never, ever live that way without faith through the finished work of Christ. Let me throw this out there while I'm on it. Even if a loved one dies and you're sure in your heart they're not born again, don't be so sure. Why would you settle that in your heart when you don't even know? You live rejoicing in the mercy of God. You don't know what's going on inside of people. I don't, it doesn't matter. You can't make that assessment and rob your soul of faith and forward progress. Don't, don't do that. People come and they cry and say, I can't really face the gospel because, you know, people died and they weren't in Christ or people were, their parents or my grandparents. And God is so amazing. We might be amazed of the mercy of God and how people were wretched their whole life and they're laying there dying and telling everybody to get away and yet Holy Spirit's wooing and talking and they're having this inner conversation and they're coming to this. I, I, I had the most ex- amazing experience once. I went into a house and, and a man was, the, the family was being torn apart by it. Half the family, a very wealthy background and family, they were keeping the dad alive for years. Uh, two and a half years in the house and it cost him a thousand, twelve hundred a week or something to keep this guy alive and the family's paying for it. And two and a half years, the whole family. It's that late already. And uh, <laughs> I was getting my break sign from Wiley. <laughs> He's so good. He's the best. You have no idea. He's so good. And uh, I went in the house and, 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 and Dad's tape shut, oxygen and feed tube, Feed tube, oxygen, taped, his eyes like cemented shut. And his other eye, he's in a coma state. And he's just staring and his eye just didn't have much color. It just kind of looked gray. And he kind of looked expired in his eye. And this was causing a family division because half the family was saying we need to do everything possible to keep him as long as his heart's beating. We don't want to unplug everything. And the other family said we're playing God. We need to just unplug. And if he lives, he lives. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. We're playing God. And the other half of the family said no, we're, 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 we're keeping dad in position. He can recover. He, we're praying over him. We, well, let's do our part. And let's do everything that you know, wisdom has taught us, technology, medical science. And there's a family feud. They asked me to come and like and mediate this thing. <laughs> you get called into that stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'll come in. So I'm just, all I know how to do is love people. That's really all I know how to do. So I go in there to love people and I'm loving people. I met the one uh, son and he, we, he just cried and cried while we were talking. And God tells you, it was all kinds of things that happened. But here was the fun part. Dad's 80 some years old, laying in this condition. It was one of the most coolest spiritual experiences I've had uh, up to that point especially. Uh, it just shows the working of Holy Spirit and what goes on in the minds of men. So I didn't know this man. I've never met him before and he's in this condition and I walk up and we're just talking. I'm talking to the family, talking about some of the paradoxes of the, the, the feud and trying to make peace and get off of the chips on your shoulder for one thing. And we're just really talking about peacemaking and love and understanding one another's hearts and not considering your own interest above others to where now you have issues with family. And we're just really talking love and Jesus. You can imagine the topic, right? And uh, I, I walked over to the bed and he's in a hospital bed and I called him by name and said, hey. And uh, I said, hey, my name is Dan and I'm the one who's been in your house talking and talking, man. And I looked at him and his eyes just, and my heart, just welled up. And it was just, it was a compassion thing. Because I, I realized just that all this is real. 
And it's costing people, not money, family, relationship, just a lot. And I remember lifting up my heart and crying and praying life to come into his soul and God to make him coherent. And, and it was just the coolest thing because I looked down and here's this big brown eye just staring right at me. Now his other eye didn't open. You know, I'd love to say he'd have just leaped up and ripped the tubes and praise God, you know, that would have been awesome. And I can honestly tell you, I never even prayed for healing, which is weird. I can't even, I still think back on the testimony and I'm thinking, I never even thought to pray that he be made whole. Watch what happened. I look, and his eyes looking straight at me. He's taped shut and he's on the stuff for years. And I said, I said, hey, there you are. And he's just staring right at me. I said, my name's Dan. I said, listen, man. I said, the family, you've been in this condition. So talking about Jesus, talking about the gospel, and they were all concerned, a lot of the family, the reason they didn't want to pull the plug. Especially the girls, they're sensitive to this stuff. The guys are thinking, you know, let it in the hands of God, this is costing us a lot of money. Dad lived a long life, hey, you know, we're okay, pull the plug. <laughs> Serious. But the girls, most of the girls were like, but we don't know if daddy's safe. How can we pull the plug and not know if that, let's just leave it in there and give daddy time. That's powerful. So I'm talking to him. All of a sudden, you know how Jesus heard the thoughts of men? All of a sudden I hear this guy talking to me in English. Oh, that was so cool. And, and, and it didn't startle me or throw me. Telling it, it startles me. <laughs> but it didn't at the time. I just hear him talking, Dean, as if we're in the car talking. Yeah. That's right. Just as clear as could be. And he said, Dan, you don't understand. I've lived my whole life. He's looking right at me. He can't talk. But he's thinking. He's talking in his heart. And God hears the hearts of men. And since I'm his son and I'm the fragrance of God to him, <laughs> then I probably ought to be able to hear his heart too. So it's not some super phenomenon gifting thing as much as wonder if that's just a given in our right relationship and understand. Wonder if that should be normal. So I'm standing there talking. He said, Dan, you don't understand. I've lived my whole life my way. I've made a lot of money. I've been a lot of things. And, and he said, and my whole family wants me to be saved. And I just can't jump on ship or, or jump on a, like a, 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 how did he say it? Oh, I can't jump off the ship of my life onto his just because mine is sinking. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be sincere. It's a bailout. I've known, I can't just say, well, I'm going to live my life and before I die, get born again. Dan, it just doesn't work that way. He's talking to me like that. And I said, him, I said his name, and I said, listen, it's not like that. I said, your heart, I said, I hear what you're saying. And the family's looking at me because I'm, I'm talking back, and they're just looking at me, right? Watch this. They were compelling him when he was sick to get saved, and he kept telling his girls, I can't jump off of my ship just because it's sinking and jump onto his. It wouldn't be sincere. I can't just live my life. And they would tell him that. All, they would tell, he would tell, and to him it made total sense. And to them, they were like, will you just get saved, Daddy? Right? 
So I said, look, it's not even like, that's a lie. That's a stronghold. It's not like you're jumping off of your ship onto his. And when I said that, hysteria broke out in the room. They started wailing and bawling. A lot of them fell on the floor because they knew I was talking to dad. And it was funny how grace is on you and you're not even thrown by that. I didn't even look back. I didn't even stumble. I'm just doing what I'm anointed to do. And, and I said, no, because listen, your heart really cares now. I said, you realize if you could go back 15 years and, and change your mind, I know you would. Da, 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 and I'm compelling him now. And he's talking to me. And he's starting to buy in, you know. He's thinking, yeah, I'm believing a lie. I'm not buying in a wrong way like I'm manipulating. What I'm saying is he's realizing what I'm saying, yeah, I'm keeping myself out. I need to come in. And we're there talking and I said, listen man, it's simple and it's by faith. And I said, you got to stop thinking so much and just pray this prayer with me. Let's just pray. So we prayed. He prayed with me. (laughs) Yeah, tear. This brown eye, tear just keeps rolling down. One after the other. Tear just one after the other rolling down his face. And I said, oh, this was fun. I said, hey, girls, why don't you come say hi to daddy? Why don't you talk to dad? And the whole family lined up. It was so emotionally a wreck I had to leave. I couldn't even take any more. I was just like... <laughs> I was heading out. But here was my thinking, because I had just had an experience, and sometimes you carry an experience into experience, which isn't really wise at all. But I had just had a Catholic man that had gotten born again. He had a Catholic heritage, not saying Catholics aren't. There's a lot of Catholics that are uh, born again. He, he got saved with a knowledge of God and filled and, and the family kind of, bleh, and they didn't even go to mass anymore and they were like, you know, keep your religion to yourself. I went to his house right before this house and that man was supposed to have died four days before they they left him off of life support and he said I don't want to die in the hospital I want to go home and they said to the family he won't live but 48 hours max probably 24 here it is six days later or something he's still sitting on the couch and he's 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 up there in age his body's skin and bones and the will to live and hold on he was he was afraid to die in faith, believing his family would be okay. This old fella. And he's just holding on, wanting some kind of comfort that his family would be saved. This is the stuff that people, and the heart, and, and it somehow was keeping him alive. I don't know how I got on all these stories, but I got two stories going now. But see, I just came from that experience because here's what happened there. I walked in supernatural, just poof, uh, saw things. A uh, young man, I met him, and I, I said, man, this is going to get touchy, but you got a real issue with your parents, and I see it's made your heart so hard, and it's cut into your identity, and it's made you very angry inside, and I'm being pretty blatant, and I'm not even sure. I'm thinking his parents are probably in the room. And I said, listen, man, I'm sorry. And I see these two people are flush and nervous. Are you his parents? Yes, we are. And actually, we have a really good relationship. And, and uh, I mean, we have our moments, but, but he knows we love him, and he's not obliterate to us, and, and some of the things you're saying. I mean, yeah, but he, you know, yeah, he's been very angry, but we, we have a good relationship with us. And, and I said, no, something's 
I said, I, I know I'm hearing it so clear right now and I know I sound like I'm in trouble, but you have a real issue with your parents and why is that? And all of a sudden the woman said, oh my gosh, he was adopted when he was a little baby. We're actually his adopted parents, but we always see ourselves as his parents. And I said, so your issue is with why wouldn't your parents want you and keep you and you've allowed it to make your heart angry and you're even mad at God for giving you original parents that didn't want you and and and. And he said, yeah. And he admitted to it all. And this was something. I said, man, that doesn't seem to touch your heart. It doesn't seem to impress you like, wow, that's God. He pointed to a guy that invited me there that, that he knew from the family. He said, no, because he just told you all that. Like he just pointed off as if the guy told me all that. Now I'm conveying it as if it's a supernatural move of God. Well, the guy didn't tell me nothing. It was totally God. And I said, look at me, son. Right in the eyeballs. Boom. And God touched this lady and then I'm down at this man and he's, he's, <laughs> and when I walked in the house, I'm a little different probably than people expect because I walked in and everybody's standing there and they're all crying and they're all, and they, and they wanted me to come and read him his last rites was the phone call I got. And it was the Catholic tradition. And I walked in and I knew who the guy was, obviously. And I said, obviously you're Daryl. And he said, yes. And I said, man, it's amazing. I said, you're not afraid to die. And people looked at me like, what are you talking about? You know, because, and he said, no, sir. I said, tell me why you're not afraid to die. He said, because of the, he whispered out, because of the, the blood of Jesus. And I said, well, that's pretty amazing that you're not afraid to die because of the blood. But here you are for six days holding on to life. See, that's the wisdom God will give you. So why haven't you gone? And all of a sudden I began to see by the Spirit of the Lord the condition of his family one by one. And I'm kneeling and I looked at his wife. I said, honey, you are so mad at God. You are right, I'm mad at God. You should have seen it. She said, first this and then this and now my husband. And I said, honey, have you even read the Bible? Do you even have any idea the nature of God? And I began to share in, and you know how me, I drag things out and talk for like three days. In three minutes, it was a miracle. In three minutes, I talked the most profuse wisdom of God in the gospel that's ever come out of my mouth. And in three minutes, this lady went, and cried because of her obstinate heart and her sinful heart. And she took my hands and got born again. Now watch this. The man got so full of peace and he just sat there and stopped trembling and struggling. He's just sitting there and his whole family surrounded crying with the exception of the young man that said, this man told me and I walked out with him and I spoke to him and I got right in his face. I said, you listen to me, son. I'm a man of God and you know that these things that are happening here are real. Don't you run from truth by copping out and saying he told me. He didn't tell me anything. God knows. And I hugged him and he kind of like just left me. He didn't hug me. And I walked away so you trust and leave him by faith, right? That man died in 20 minutes. Is that amazing or what? Died in 20 minutes. It was so phenomenal. His whole family got right. And, and in his heart he said, I can go now, I'm letting go. And he just put. 20 minutes, gone. 
So now I carried that situation into this one. I'm not even thinking of praying for this guy to get healed. I'm just watching the girls. They're like, hi, daddy. And these tears just coming down like this. So I called the probably one of the head sisters, if you will. She, she just she just respected and one of the elder sisters. And I called her to the side and I said, listen, I got to go. She's like, thank you, thank you. And she's like, are you kidding me? You only have what you've been given. God is amazing. Just thank him. I am overwhelmed. I got to leave. And I, I beat my steering wheel for a mile down the road, screaming, pounding my steering wheel. Jesus! I was pounding. I was just, <laughs> just freaking out, man. I was grabbing it and shaking it. I just wonder I wasn't holding it because I was like, Jesus! I was just screaming. I didn't know what to do. I was like, it's just freaking out. So I'm thinking in 20 minutes, this guy's going to die. And this was amazing. I didn't hear from the family. Two weeks went by. I'm in the office and I got a phone call. And it was the sister. I got the phone. I said, hey. She said, I just want to let you know daddy passed this morning. And just thank you, thank you, thank you for. And I'm like, well, I was touched and weepy and. And I never prayed for the guy to be healed. I'm not even, I don't even, I don't, I can't even explain that. It doesn't even make sense to me now. Because all I think is, come on, get up, be healed, made whole. Thanks for everything you're doing, God, get him up too, you know? Never even prayed for him to be healed. But there was so much there and so much to learn and how men think and how the mercy of God is invading the hearts of men, even in their dying moments. They're having inner conversations and God's invading. So I said all that just to say don't write people off. When, it is a cool story though. When, when, when he, this is why, this will give you faith. When she hung up the phone, I, I said, are you okay? She said, are you kidding? My heart is so at peace. And she's crying, daddy's saved. Because she was one of the girls that would no way want to pull the plug. She would have, she would have been forever condemned in her conscience if they'd have pulled that plug. She'd have felt like they sent daddy to hell. Right. So I hang up the phone and I slid my chair back and I lean back and I used to do that a lot. There was a posture. I'd get real relaxed. And I'd just say, Father, please come and father me. Talk to me. I so want to understand things. Why 20 minutes and two weeks? Why wouldn't he just pass as soon as all that happened? Because it was so extraordinary. Holy Spirit instantly answered me. He said, Dan, and he talked from first person from Holy Spirit. He talked as the person of the Holy Spirit, which is cool. Sometimes he'll speak on behalf of the Father Jesus. Sometimes he'll speak from the Father. Do you get what I'm saying? It's, or from Jesus. But he spoke as Holy Spirit. He said, Dan, it took me those two weeks to continue to love him and convince him that he was received. Because his conscience kept feeling like he couldn't be saved in the last moment in the nick of time. And it took me two weeks to assure him that his heart was sincere and that he was saved. And when he was convinced, he let go. I lost it. I was sitting there crying. I'm like the working of Holy Spirit inside of people. We have no clue most of the time. Oh, isn't that powerful? So here's a guy in turmoil and he's going, yell but, yell but, and Holy Spirit's going, I love you. Yeah, but I love you. You're in. 
you care if you could go back. And he probably kept replaying, if I could only know the, he probably kept replaying that phrase he had me speak. If you could go back 15 years and change your mind now, you would, wouldn't you? That means you've changed. That lie is trying to keep you off board when you should be on board. Right? Holy Spirit, for two weeks, he's, guys, he's like this. His eyes shut. He's taped. He can't talk. But he's having inner conversation and Holy Spirit meeting him there. And he's thinking and he's holding on and he's afraid to die. And the will to live is so amazing. He's holding on because he's afraid to die. And finally, Holy Spirit said, it's okay. I love you. I've received you. You're saved. And he let go trusting God. Oh, I can't wait to go hug him. <laughs> I just can't wait to go hug him. <laughs> oh! You got to tell some of these stories so people understand what's wrong with you. <laughs> Serious. So there's a lot of stuff like that that's happened over the years. That's amazing. Amazing. Take a break. Take a break. I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You take such good care of me, Wally. I was just assuming you had everything in place. I thought my ducks were in a row. Ephesians 1. (laughs) Yeah, I race ducks. No, I don't. Let let me finish this, and then we're going to do something to wrap out the class. I think it'll be fun, and it'll be informative at least in an an area. Because when John was just talking to me, I, I don't... I don't think we teach on the person of Holy Spirit enough and, and uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and things. I want to I make something real clear to end out this class just to give you a clear biblical understanding of who he is and where he fits and the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and your born again experience getting filled with the Spirit that way, like recreated Spirit. I want to make that clear. Would that be helpful for anybody? Would you guys be okay with that? I'm going to just, because I can, I can do that in this amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be that funny, Wiley. You're leading the pack. <laughs> Did you hear that? That was that wasn't even an exaggerated laugh. That was a belly laugh. That was. I have really corrupted you guys. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Oh, I can't tell you. I won't be long. It's it's over. Yeah. Watch this. The exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, now this is amazing. Far above. He's far above all principality and power. Jesus is amazing. I tell you guys that experience I had when that girl was the, 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 the Shiite Muslim family and she came and she manifested, a devil manifested in, and the Holy Spirit said that she, he, this devil was beholding the face of the Son of God. And I didn't even know she was a Shiite Muslim because if I did know, I'd have probably tried to pray harder or different or something. I'd have got weird. I would have got involved and that thing would have probably laughed at me and just stayed there. Really? It fears him. It, it knows Jesus is Lord. When Jesus came, see, our natural knowledge sometimes inspires us over our spiritual knowledge. And we actually have a notoriety and a fear towards certain things. So when we hear that's what it is, we try to press in harder and you actually empower the thing. What you're actually saying is you're amazing and I'm not sure you'll move, so I've got to do something to... 
It's actually what happens. You lose, you lose a couple people to a certain type of cancer and then three years later you hear that cancer and you think, oh my God, not that, that thing is, and then you pray extra hard and all you're actually saying is, cancer, you're amazing, you've hurt a lot of people and I'm going to really try hard so you lose this time or something. It's actually giving it power. You're actually commending it when you do that. You don't realize what we do when we do that. You dig deeper and pray extra harder. You're actually saying this problem is really a problem. You show me one place where Jesus did that. Where Jesus said, oh boy. Okay. Serious, I'm, come on. The only reason we do that is because we have so much natural knowledge of things, right? And uh, God blinded me to that girl and her background because if I would have known at the end, the punchline was, because I knew, and when man said, did Jesus, did Jesus show you, did the Lord show you she was a Muslim or did she tell you? And I went, huh? And right when I went, huh, because I thought she was a Muslim, oh my goodness, because you know, the whole Twin Tower thing, Shiite Muslims, five percenters, radical, we're infidels, if they kill us, they get rewards in heaven, it's all the virgins and all kinds of stuff they're believing in, they're giving their life to it, right? I'd have took all that natural knowledge and probably thought, boy, this is a tough one, I better pray right. Instead of believe right. And when they said, did, did, did the Lord show you or did she tell you? I went, huh? And right then, Holy Spirit said, Dan, all I ever want you to know is Jesus is Lord. That's all you need to know. Jesus is Lord. And I was so, watch this. There was another one of those experiences. I was so convinced in my own believer and heart that he was Lord before that experience. But guess what he really is now? He is, he is Lord. You see what I mean? Because when you have an experience like that, what you say you believe is all the more belief. It's belief is even in levels, faith to faith. Because when she's doing that, it's the spirit. He's freaked out at who Jesus is. I actually instantly got a vision of Jesus standing like this over the girl. And the spirit's like, why? Because Jesus is Lord. Oh, that's so amazing. So why? Because he's far above. Come on, he doesn't just squeak through. It's not, it's not, an, it's not an arm wrestling. <laughs> Come on. We got this stuff in our mind sometimes, I think. It's, it's not... It's not a, where's his Patrick's tap out shirt? It's not a cage match in three, five minute or four minute or whatever rounds. <laughs> he is Lord. Come on. Far above. Principality, power, might, and dominion. Now you got to make the connection here. Who are we as he's writing? We're his people who are receiving the knowledge of him, his calling, his inheritance, and the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe in agreement with the same power he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and set him in heavenly places far above all princely power, might, dominion, and every name that will ever be named, not only in this age, but forever. Okay? Now watch. And he put all things under his feet. He gave him to be head over all things. What things are under his feet? 
And he gave all things to the... So all things were placed under his feet and he took those all things and gave them to the church. Hello? How do we have trouble with this except that we define God circumstantially instead of letting this become our reality? And when things aren't, when, when this is not a reality, it ought to cause a reaction in us in a good way, a reaction to seek Him more and press into truth because we honor this word above our circumstance. And if He wrote this and put this in here, this has to be the word of God. It has to be available. It has to be true, even though this isn't in agreement. And we grow up into Him in all things. What we do is, is we assess and define and protect and defend our feelings, our life, our sympathy, our sentiments at the cost of this. And yet this still reads the same. Watch, I'm not being crude and I'm not being rude. You guys know my heart better. Even after they die and we're all weeping, this still says the same thing. So what do we hook up to? The things that we see or the things unseen? What do we look at? The things that are seen or unseen? Then why do we look so much at the things that are seen which are subject to change only to assure they stay the same instead of looking at the things that are unseen because they remain forever? You get it? Come on, this is still true. Now watch, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to who? The church. Now look who the church is. It's his body. Where does he live? Inside us. And the body is the expression of what's inside. Watch, we're his body. Watch, the fullness of him. That's you. The fullness of him is you. Who fills what? All in all. All things. Do you see the intimate connection between us and Him? We're His people, we're His body. Come on. It was intended, it was intended way back in the Old Testament that the Israelites would be released from, from, from Egypt and go into the land and manifest the reverence and fear of God's name to all the nations. And yet it says they went out from among him and profaned his name everywhere. And this represented his identity everywhere. And it said, so he's going to bring them all back together and make them one and put one heart and one spirit in them, a brand new heart, a heart of flesh. And he said, I'm not doing it for their sake, but my great name's sake. (gasps) And here we are today in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the fullness of him who fills all in all. So is the answer God out there or Christ in us? It's always Christ in us. Come on, you got you to get that. The answer is always Christ in us, the hope of glory, Christ in us. Christ coming out of us is the manifestation of that glory. The hope of that glory is the Christ in us. Not a God out there that's for us and loves us, the Christ that's in us because he's for us and loves us. We're the body of Christ. John. In 22, verse 22, it says, and he gave him, is him Christ? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Put all things. And the him that's in uh, mm-hmm. 23 is us. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. No. No. 
which is his body, the fullness of him, Jesus. We're the fullness of him. We're the expression to the full of him that fills all in all. So we lay our hands on the, we speak in his name with authority, right? We go here and there into every place and diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge because we to God are the fragrance of Christ to the saved and unsaved. Do you get it? Oh, that's so cool. Now, real quick, let me do this because, oh, I'm going to run out of time. Help! It's Wiley's laugh. Let's just blame shift today. It's Wiley's laugh. We can repent tomorrow. Blame, oh, this is taped. I can't do that. Cut the tape. (sighs) I'm just having fun with you guys. Watch this. I need you to see this real, real quick. Hebrews chapter 2, because we just looked at, he gave him to be head over what? Over all things. And then what? And then uh, that we are the fullness of what? Him that filleth all in all. So he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Peter describes all things in First, Second Peter 1 as all things pertaining to life and godliness. Yeah. Yay, right? So now Hebrews 2, I want you to see something. Just connecting scripture here, that's all. Am I confusing you guys? Am I connecting too much scripture? Are you following me? Because I got like, this just scripture. It's just, it's just going crazy right now. It's just exciting. Watch this. What is man? Oh my goodness. Verse, let's look at verse six. What is man? Answer that because they might be telling you what is man that is mindful. Is it? What is man? We'll pick it up. Man is created in my image. What if this deep voice? Man is created in my image. <laughs> that would be so cool. What is man that you are mindful of him? Why would you even think about me is what the psalmist is writing. Come on. Do people say that stuff and talk like that in the church today? Well, why? We, I don't even know why God would consider me. It's an easy answer because he created you in his image and he knows who you are and he loves you and he has great purpose for your life. Well, I can't imagine why he would love me. It's a very simple answer. See, the only reason we say that is because we don't separate our sinful fallen identity. We look at our life face value and say, why would he love me? Because he doesn't look at you for that value. He looks at you for his face value. Not your face value. Do you get it? Uh, One of the greatest things that I've learned in this class is that when I'm born again, my identity, I'm not a sinner. Not at all. I've shared that with a lot of my customers, and you know, it's a real revelation to them as it was to me. I might sin, but it doesn't make me a sinner on the sun. Yeah, you don't let your capacity to sin rob your identity. You stay in sonship, and that'll actually overtake your capacity to sin. Because righteousness produces its fruit to holiness. So you'll actually make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Yay. Okay. Now watch this. I want you to see this. Remember why we went here. He gave him, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. We just read that in Ephesians 1, right? And the church is his body, the fullness of him, the full expression of who he is. Okay? Now watch. 
What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you would take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. Psalms 8, the original Hebrew says Elohim. You've made him a little lower than Elohim himself. You have crowned him. Look at this, man. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Not shame and dishonor. Hello? Oh, we might have lived lives that seem worth shame and dishonor, but God has crowned us with glory and honor. Why? He gave His only begotten Son to show your real value, your real worth, your true identity. He separated you from sin and the peril of it and, and robed you with sonship and righteousness. Okay? Now watch. And He set Him. Who'd He set? Man. He set Him. And you can go back to Adam before sin and read this psalm and think about Adam in the garden with God. He set Him over what? The works of your hands. You set him over the works of your hands. You have put, oh, here's this phrase again. You have put what? All things in subjection under his feet. Small H-I-S. That means our feet, man's feet. Why? Why? Because he put all things in subjection under him and he gave him to be the head over all things to the So if it's under his feet, it's under because we're one and we're the fullness of him that fills all in all. Now watch. This is amazing. I don't know why we can't just all be one happy little church in the world and see this real clear and just agree and go after this. Watch. For in that he put in subjection under him, he left nothing. Read verse eight. You've put how many things? All things in subjection. Well, then why isn't all the cancer fading? Then why isn't all the birth defects going? Then why aren't people living instead of dying? See, that's the question people ask. Now watch. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put in subjection under him, he left what? Nothing. Nothing. This is the word of God, people. He left nothing that is not put under him. Watch, but now we do not yet see all things under him. Right? Do you see all things in subjection under you yet? Do you? Okay, now watch. Look at the very next, because that's the reality. He's saying, look, he put all things in subjection under your feet. However, right now you're not seeing everything bow. Look at the next couple words, but we see... Who do you keep your eyes fixed on? Jesus in his life. You know what we do? Yeah, but, well, how come? Well, I prayed. Well, I thought God's word is true. Well, where was God? Well, where have you been when I needed? Well, how come? Well, I don't know. Well, what am I supposed to? You see what we do? We don't see the answer and we say a whole lot of other stuff. The Bible says, but we see Jesus. So who's our standard? Who's the finished work? Who's the way, the truth, and the life? Now here we go again. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. I'm going to stop reading there. It's all good. It just gets gooder and gooder. uh, But watch this. Here's what he's saying. All things are in subjection under his feet. He's placed him to be head over all things to the church. 
And we're the fullness of him that fills all in all. Hebrews is saying there is nothing that is not in subjection under us. However, right now, everything's not bowing. Keep your eyes on Jesus because he's the will of the Father. Let's keep growing up into him in all things to the full measure of the stature of Christ. Let's stop coming up with doctrine and theology and philosophy based on our circumstance. We see Jesus. When they die, even though we prayed, we get our focus on Jesus. We see Jesus and we let our hearts be encouraged and strengthened and know him more and don't back off and we pray for another and we keep growing and we come to the knowledge of him. Or, or we circumstantially define God and we get our eyes off of Jesus. We get spiritually analogy like, uh, well, you know, brother, I think and sometimes God and well, maybe. Can I be straight with you? That's the language of the garden when the fall came. Hey, look, oh, you're not going to die. Come on, did God say you're going to die? Look, you're not going to die. Come on, God just knows the day you eat the trees, the day your eyes will be enlightened. You'll know the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, you'll be like God. That's the language in the garden. And we talk like that a lot when we don't understand. Okay, I'm going to take a little farther and reveal that our hearts aren't established in truth when we talk like that. It means we're still groping in the dark. We're still wondering. We're still mystified and miffed by our circumstances and we're still trying to grab solidity and foundation and it makes you very vulnerable to thoughts and mindsets and the whisperings of that same voice that Eve was deceived by. When you do that, you actually reveal you're not established and rooted and grounded in love. And in truth, working through love. You get it? You might be amazed how that opens the door for an onslaught of just one more circumstance after another to keep you in derision and keep you wondering and guessing and maybe even discouraged and backslidden and disappointed. Picking up what you called dead, called your life, your feelings, instead of living it in Him. Make sense? Come on, it's true. Okay? But that's who we are. I didn't know, I didn't know we were going. I was, I've been trying to get to First John. Someday we'll get there. Because I just like it. It's, I just feel like we're supposed to cover it at some point. But isn't it amazing? I was trying to go there and the, and the Lord just showed me that we're the fragrance of Him. He calls us to triumph. And He wants us to see for some reason today, He wants us to see we're His choice, we're His people, we're His body. We're lacking no good thing except what we're able to see by faith and continue and to grab a hold of by faith. Because even when things aren't in subjection, we don't change our mind. We don't rewrite the book. We see Jesus. We see Jesus. We look unto Him. Hebrews 12 the author and the finisher of our faith and for the joy set before us we go through and shuttle through the pain or any shame and we keep our eye on the destiny you get it we look unto him we consider him we consider him he did not take it personal when men attacked him and sinned against him or committed stuff against him and, and he was violated even by sinners against himself and his own person it says you consider him who live this way, receiving hostility against at least you be discouraged and weary in your soul. That's amazing. So who do we follow? Jesus. So if I pray for somebody and they die, what do I do? I look to Jesus. I get alone in a secret place and I seek Him. I allow Him to touch me and invigorate me and empower me even to understand that there is a place to touch them and see the glory of God. And God, you're doing a work in me. You know, you don't go in there and be negative. Well, it sure seems like it's taking a long time, Lord. 
Anytime you're ready, I'm ready. Would you come and touch me, God? Come on. That is not faith. That's complaining. That's despair. Man, I'd gone in that place crying. God, I know they can live. Your word says it. There's a truth that needs to be realized in me. And I thank you for illuminating me. Thank you for a spirit of wisdom. Really, Thank you for the grace, the spirit, the grace of God available to see like I've never seen before, to manifest you. If your fullness is in me, then your fullness must flow through me. To know your love is to be filled with your fullness. I want it coming out of me like that river that I read of, God. But I'm not backing down. I accept it. I know it's a yes. I know it's an amen gospel. And, and it's always possible to them that believe. See what I'm saying? Why? Because all things are in subjection under our feet. It says it. And he left nothing that isn't. However, we don't yet see all things. It's not our experience yet. Why? Because we're all growing up into him in all things. We're all growing to the full measure of the statue of the full outpouring of the horn of the anointing of God. Do you get it? Okay, can I uh, take the next half hour and just uh, nail down the whole Holy Spirit baptism difference between some things? Would that be good? Okay. John chapter four, what? I was looking at the Holy Spirit. The past couple days I've been excited because... I'm all about, you know, I want to get a recording of everything that, you know, well, like in this class, what's, what's being said. I, you know, I have this feeling I've got to go, how am I ever going to get this stuff in me? You know, it's, a, it's so much information to try and pour over. And I was reading the other day, I, can't, I don't remember exactly where it was, but, it's, but the thought came to me. The, I have a recording of everything Christ did on the earth. Everything he said, everything he taught, everything he didn't say but exemplified. The Holy Spirit is my personal recording and he'll bring it in as I need it. That's what sounds so exciting. Yeah! I wasn't there, but I mean, I have a recording of everything that took place. Is that cool or what? There was this uh, big talk, you know, back when I first got saved. And, and, and I'm not against spiritual fathers. I mean, even Todd, he calls me a spiritual papa or father. And uh, I'm not against people mentoring. What I am concerned about is when you teach that without that, you're limited and you can't grow to a certain place. That's just, I just couldn't disagree more. Because you limit, I've had people email me. I have just been realized through teaching that I'm lacking. If I don't have a spiritual father, I can't arrive to the place I'm called. Da da da. Would you please be my spiritual father? I get asked that every week by people. Would you please be my mentor, my spiritual father, etc.? And it's it's creating a, a paradox in the church where people feel like if they don't have someone to connect with this way that they can't connect. And at the same time, you have to be careful that you're not an island unto yourself and just uh, like you don't need one another. But you have to be careful in, in all these things in the sense of when somebody says, well, Holy Spirit's my mentor or he's the one that disciples me, then the brows go raised and they go, oh, one of those. Oh, so you don't need... See, because I personally, personally, I couldn't possibly name somebody that's been a spiritual father to me. I've gleaned from a few fellas. Nobody's fathered me. I have never had a mentor, ever. Ever. But I have. I really have. I have had a mentor. I remember going in a room... See, I'm a little choked up right now because I got, I was puzzled. Whoever got puzzled by teachings you heard and, and your heart got concerned and troubled. And, and I remember going in a room and I was leaning against a wall and I was crying. 
And I said, Lord, I don't understand all this mentor and disciple. I mean, I do to a degree. But I, 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 I just something doesn't feel, something doesn't feel right. It, 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 it feels like something's wrong with it and there's such a push. And I said, I need to know, do I need a mentor? Do I need, and he so graciously, lovingly, and you can question this the rest of your life. It's way too late now. You can do that if you want. It doesn't matter. He said, Dan, I am your mentor. Yeah. And I am your discipler. Because, see, that's the relationship I've had with him since I was saved. I've had that. Does that mean men can't speak into my life? Does that mean that I can't attach myself to somebody and just follow them through faith and patience and pattern after them and follow their example? Absolutely not. But watch this. Holy Spirit, Jesus took 12 men and poured his life into them and discipled them. True? And he said, I'm leaving, but listen, don't you be troubled because I won't leave you alone. You're not going to be orphans. I'm going to send you another. What he's saying is, I'm sending another, Alos in the Greek. He's just like me. He'll do in my absence what I would do if I was here myself. And he's not just going to live in you guys. He's going to live in as many as believe. And he'll do in my absence what I would do if I was here. And he's going to take my place, if you will, in my name and do what I do. So he's going to, you're not going to be an orphan. He's going to lead, guide, direct you, show you things to come, teach you all things, bear witness of me. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm against the wall and I'm crying and he, and he was showing me this, that he is the person of Jesus, even though he's the spirit of the Lord, he's representing the person of Jesus in the sense of the disciples and he came as another helper. Oh, the spirit of the Lord. The Bible goes as far as to say, the spirit is the Lord. Well, I thought Jesus was the Lord. Well, it's the spirit of the Lord Jesus. Yay! It's just not that confusing. It says the Spirit is the Lord, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So I'm sitting there, and Holy Spirit was like, Dan, it's okay to glean and draw and respect and honor, but cling to me. Let me mentor you. Let me disciple you. I'm here. I'm another. I'm the allos that Jesus sent. I'm here, and I'll be in you and with you. So he's been a good friend. First John two twenty, but the unction or the, the holy, the unction from the holy, holy one. And he had no need to mention Right, and 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 it's a paradox because we still have teachers, and there's a calling and an office of teaching. There's still teachers, but what he's trying to say to us is he's not saying you don't need one another. He's saying know that first and foremost you need him. Now, what a lot of people do is they disregard the value of one another then because they're either hurt, disappointed. Well, look, I just need God. Well, I got the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't need anybody to, well, I don't even need to go to church because I have him. And all of a sudden there's this, and then people, they fight against that attitude and go to the far extreme. You got extremes on both ends. Do you see what I mean? You know, and, I, and I'm just, I, I, well, let's, let's just go here. Watch this. I want to show you something because, oh man, where's time go? John 4, verse 21. Woman, believe me, this woman at the well, right? The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. John 4, verse 21. Worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is. (laughs) When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So when you're obedient to truth and living by the Spirit, that's an amazing thing. 
For the Father is seeking such to worship him. So it's more than a song, as much as I love songs. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. When you get in agreement with truth and you live truth, it's a worship unto God, I promise. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. I who speak to you am he. And uh, so, so he's, he's revealing to her that he's the what? The Messiah, the way, he's the truth, he's the life, okay? I want you to know, in the beginning of this conversation, you have to understand what he was saying, because now he progressively took her to a place and, and showed her what spirit-led living's gonna look like, what worship is, uh, that I'm the Christ. Watch what he said, let's back up a little, let's go back to verse 10. If you know the gift, or knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father? See, right away, comparing, and <laughs> well, who do you think you are? Are you greater than our ancestors? Right? That's, we do that stuff today sometimes <laughs> with things and people. We've got to be careful. Watch, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it? He, his sons, his livestock? Jesus said, look, this water I'm talking about, well, this water that you're talking about, if you drink it, you're gonna thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I'm talking about that I'll give will never thirst. But the water I shall give, watch, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. It's like a wellspring, like an artesian well. They bubble over the cap. It's coming out, right? Now watch. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I may not thirst, etc. And go call your husband, the rest is history. And then you know that story. And then he goes into talking about, he's actually talking about a born-again experience. Now watch this. A well springing up into everlasting life. So if you drink this water, what he's going to do is he's going to fill you with living water. He's going to take that which is dead and make it alive, that which is lost and find it. It's a born-again experience. You're going to see this. Go to John 7. I'm just, I'm just laying two things that Jesus did in the chapters of John here. He's saying this. This is a fountain of water springing up into what? Everlasting life. What's he referring to? He's referring to your born-again experience that makes you live again. Okay, uh, I'll back this up, you'll see. John 7, go to John 7, towards the end, uh, verse 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, some scriptures say belly or inmost being, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, one was a fountain springing up, welling up into everlasting life. Now, this is flowing out of your inmost being, and it's a river, and it's, it's living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Okay? Go to John chapter 20, real quick. I know it's a lot of scripture, but you've got to see it. John chapter 20, please. 
Hallelujah. Okay. John chapter 20. I'll jump right into the, the, the middle of this, okay? Verse 21. You know he just raised from the dead, right? He says, Peace be to you in verse 21. John 20, verse 21. As the Father sent me, I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. Back up to Luke 24. So in John 20, he breathed on them and they received what? Holy Spirit. So if Jesus breathed and said, receive Holy Spirit, do you think they did? (laughs) Or do you think it didn't take? (laughs) Do you think maybe it didn't happen? (laughs) Come on, be real with me. If Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, do you think Holy Spirit came? Do you think that there was something took place in their spirit? Okay, look at Luke 24. Verse 46, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name. See, this is where we've, we've missed the gospel. We've preached prayer, prayer to go to heaven. He, he said that the change of mind and removal of sin is what we should be preaching. We've preached how we're always continuing to sin and thank God by the skin of our teeth we're saved and one day if we're lucky we'll make it with Him but you better walk a straight and narrow road and make sure you pray this prayer. We're to preach <laughs> repentance, change your mind and the remission and removal of sin. We're to actually preach the removal remission of sin. You're not a sinner. It's going. Yeah. Jesus said it Himself. We're to preach remission of sin. And you are witnesses of these things. Now look, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are dued with power from on high. What do you think he's talking about? Let's look at Acts chapter 1 real quick. I know I'm running to a lot of scripture. You'll connect the dots here in a minute. Because I'm going to make a point all at once. Acts chapter 1. You'll find red letters, red letters in your Bible. In Acts chapter 1, it's Jesus being quoted. So the writer of Luke quoted Jesus saying this, or the writer of Acts. Thank you. Thank you, which is is Luke. Uh, Being assembled together, verse 4, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. So... They were assembled together. He said, wait for the promise of the Father. We just read that in Luke 24, right? Verse 49. But in John 20, he breathed on them and said, receive what? Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now watch. Now watch. Truly baptized, John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together and asked, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? He said, it's not for you to know times and seasons, which are the Father's, and he put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Wait a minute. Why are we waiting to be filled with Holy Spirit when you already breathed on us and said, receive the Holy Spirit? It's totally two different experiences. One is baptizing the Holy Spirit. That means immersed into or dipped into to be empowered by, to be a witness. 
The first time when he breathed into them, it's John chapter four. They believed in him and they became born again and a well burst forth in them springing up into everlasting life. They were saved. It was their seal for that day. They became wheat instead of tares, life instead of death, the spirit of God instead of death. Do you see this? Now watch. God breathed into Adam and he became a living being. Jesus raised from the dead, put his blood on the mercy seat, came back and breathed into man and he became a living being. He was born again. But tarry in the city because there's power coming upon you. It's a separate experience. It is not the same. People say you get it all when you get born again. It can happen that way, especially if it's preached that way. There's places not in America that don't have the consternation of soul and all the over-teaching. You can go to the middle of the jungles of Africa, they get born again, fall on their face praying in tongues. Because of the pureness, the innocence, they don't have all the... I saw a lady that God stuck on a chair, a prostitute, a drug addict. He stuck her on a chair. She was trying to leave the service. God stuck her behind on the chair, and then he got her off the chair, brought her up. A bunch of spirits came out of her, and she's laying on the floor. Never in church in her life. She's laying on the floor saying how precious Jesus is, how I love you, Jesus, how awesome you are, Jesus. And she starts praying in tongues and didn't say one word about none of that in the service. It just, it just was beautiful. Okay? But watch this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Tarry in the city. He's the promise of the Father. He's coming upon you. He's Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. Didn't you just breathe on us? Didn't we just get this fella? No. Your spirit got born again and the Spirit of God came in and took place of the spirit of death and the degeneration and the fall of man and now you're found and you're not lost. You're weak and you're not a tear. Do you get it? It's a well springing up into everlasting life, but tarry in the city so the river can start flowing out of you. Okay? Now watch this. Watch this. Let's go to Acts. Let's just have fun with this. I can do this in a couple minutes. Acts chapter 8. Really can. Thank you, Father. Who knows, in Acts chapter 8, Philip went to Samaria and preached the gospel and people saw the things that were done and the spirits casting out and crying out and the people being healed and the paralyzed and the lame were healed and great joy filled the city and they were saved, right? Who knows the story? Verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Why? Who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon them, for they had only, sounds like something missing, they had, not that it's not powerful, they had only been baptized what? In the name of the Lord Jesus. They had been born again and they received the well springing up into everlasting life, but they haven't received the power from on high to be a witness, so they came to lay hands on them so the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Why? Because he had not yet fallen upon any of them. So how can it be an automatic? How is it always an automatic? Watch this. If we being of evil nature, Luke eleven thirteen, 13, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more the Father gives the Holy Spirit to them that? If he's an automatic, why would you ever ask? Are you all right? Y'all just kind of looking at me. Watch. Peter and John went to lay hands on them because the Holy Spirit had fallen upon how many? None of them, right? 
Now watch. For they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. They've been water baptized in the name of the Lord. When they laid hands on them, they received Holy Spirit. Oh, it's good. In Acts 2, Holy Spirit came like tongues of fire, rested upon everyone. Nobody laid hands on anybody. Holy Spirit just came, right? Okay, but in Acts 8, they went and laid hands. So obviously, somebody that understands the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit, and they lay hands on, there's a transmission, there's a release of Holy Spirit, there's a faith. Wow, Holy Spirit, thank you for coming. Just baptize them in your spirit. Bam, it says when they laid hands on them, what happened? They received the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 10. Out of the mouths of two or more, every word's confirmed and established. We've got a lot of places. <laughs> okay. Verse 44. Jesus uh, uh, sent Peter to Cornelius' household. Do you guys know the story? Cornelius was, uh, got a vision, an angel said, go send for Peter, the road to Joppa, blah, 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 and Peter was up getting a trance on the house, all the four-footed things, don't call what I made clean unclean, when they came, he was already expecting them, and he went with them, because otherwise he probably wouldn't, because they were Gentiles, okay, verse 44, so Peter's there, he's preaching Jesus to the people. So Cornelius and his whole household is there and he's preaching Jesus to them. And while Peter, verse 44, was still speaking those words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished and as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out to the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking with tongues and magnifying God. And Peter said, look, can anyone forbid them water that they should not be baptized to have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to all be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. What happened here? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the empowerment to be a witness came upon them because as they heard Peter preach, they believed. And they were being born again. They didn't have to pray a prayer of salvation. They went, this is the most beautiful message. This is the most amazing love story we have. This is awesome. Yes, I want to be a Christian. I believe. And the power of Holy Spirit came upon them. And they all were filled with the Spirit praying in tongues. And Peter, recognizing that they were baptized in the Spirit, said, hey, these guys obviously got born again. Let's baptize them in water because now there's life on the inside. So they baptized in water. Did anybody lay hands on them? No. Look at Acts 19. I want you to see how important this is. This will be the clincher and we'll wrap. I told you we could do this. I'm so pumped. I'm pulling this off. Jesus, thanks. I know it's your grace. Because if it wasn't, I'll mess up. It'll be late. Now it happened while Apollos was at Corinth and Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Acts 19, verse 1. He's finding some disciples. So you have to understand in their culture, they dress certain ways. They could tell these guys were following something. They were disciples. They had a certain kind of cloak, attire, something. But he found some disciples. And here's, look what he said. He didn't just like, hey, nice day. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, if he was an automatic, that's not a question. And the biggest thing on Paul's heart when he saw disciples were like, hey guys, did you receive Holy Spirit? And he's really, what he's saying is, or have you just been baptized in the name of the Lord as Christians? Or have you been empowered to be a witness? Do you hear the distinction? 
Have you received Holy Spirit since you believe? If it's an automatic, why is there a question from the Apostle Paul who's writing two-thirds of the New Testament by revelation of Jesus Christ? But it means it's a separate filling. It means it's a separate event in a believer's life, or it can be. With Cornelius' household, he just fell upon them. And then they got baptized and said, yay. In Samaria, they heard he had not yet come. So Peter and John must have been in Jerusalem, and they got word of Samaria. And they said, well, have they received the Holy Spirit? Were they baptized yet with power? Were they endued from on high? Well, no, not yet. He hasn't come. Let's go, Peter. Let's go, John. We got to go. And they went 35 to 55 miles, somewhere in that range, either on foot or whatever. They went that far so that when they got there they could lay hands on them and they'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Another part of teaching I just Paul's teaching in Cornelius' household. Yeah. They were baptized before baptized Well yeah, absolutely. But here's why. Because when you believe salvation comes through faith. So when they believed the message Peter was saying, they believed on his name, they were born again. As an affirmation of born again, you get water baptized. The water baptizing is, is the response to your born again experience, right? But the evidence of their hearts changing and being born again is the empowerment and the undoing from on high came upon them. And Peter went, whoa, they have received the same spirit we have when we believe. Let's get them in the water. They're Christians. Isn't that cool? Now watch. Have you received Holy Spirit when you believed? So they were finding people that were receiving when they believed, Cornelius' household, and they were finding people like Samaria that he hadn't yet fallen on them. That's not really to throw around why and why not. That's not the big deal. The key is there's two separate experiences. Was Samaria born again? Were they baptized in the name of Jesus? Were they water baptized? Were they saved? If the trumpet would have blew, were they going to heaven? Yes. But Peter and John went to lay hands on them that the empowerment of the gospel would come upon them through Holy Spirit. That empowerment to be a witness is what I mean. You see what I'm saying? Now watch. Have you received Holy Spirit? So they said to him, well, we have not so much as heard whether there's Holy Spirit. So there was an ignorance there. They hadn't even been taught. They haven't even heard. What do you mean, Holy Spirit? What do you mean, Holy Spirit? Watch. And when he said to them, and then he said to them, into what? Were you guys baptized? Because he could see they were following something. He knew they were disciples. Now watch, this all makes sense. Into what were you guys baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. Well, here they were, they were still following. Somehow they missed the whole crucifixion, Jerusalem, the whole Golgotha, the whole Jesus thing. They never connected. They were baptized into John the Baptist baptism, preparing the way, making themselves ready for the one to come. So these guys are sitting ducks. They're walking down the road baptized into John's baptism waiting for the ones to come. And, and Paul runs into them and they say, he says, into what? And they said, John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized the baptism of repentance saying to the people they should believe on him who would come after him. That's on Jesus Christ, guys. And obviously he explained the gospel to them and explained that he had come and been crucified, right? And raised from the dead. And look, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of what? Lord Jesus. What's that mean? They were water baptized, born again. Watch. Be filled with Holy Spirit. Receive Holy Spirit. Born again experience. Drinking and never thirsting again. Well springing up into everlasting life. That's different than a river flowing out of your belly. 
One's your salvation experience, the other one's the endowment with power. Do you get it? Now watch. You'll see it here. Look. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Do you get it? So he actually laid hands on them, be filled with Holy Spirit. Do you get it? And I've been really like, just, just this has been stirring up because I'm thinking, man, because we, we, I have a real conviction of water baptism. I need just as much of a conviction of Holy Spirit. So that this is our experience. So people get water baptized and filled with Holy Spirit and empowered to be a witness. Jesus says, receive Holy Spirit. Turns right around and says, now tarry in the city so Holy Spirit comes upon you. It seems confusing, but it's not. Because once you're born again experience, it's your spirit being reborn and it's a well springing up into everlasting life. There's no darkness now, it's light. There's no death now, there's life. And it's your seal for that day of redemption. So when the angels come and, and they throw the big dragnet and get all the fishies, it's what makes you a keeper and not a throwback. <laughs> really? You get it? It's the seal for that day. It's, they look at you and go, oh, you're in. Right? It's light. It's life. It makes you wheat, not a tear. Outwardly, you can all kind of look kind of alike in a sense. It says that there's tares growing in the midst of the wheat. Let time decide. Let the angels in that day tell. Don't you go pulling out and trying to distinguish what's tares and wheat. Because in the process, you could be ripping out some wheat. And even if you pull out some tares, you might get some wheat along with it. Just leave it all go. And you just live pure before your God and let time tell that one. But what makes the difference between a wheat and a tear is that well springing up. That well springing up. But tarry in the city. And you'll be endued with on high when the power of Holy Spirit comes. I got saved Sunday night. Flipped out, freaked out. Spinning, twirling, yay. Went home. Got screamed at by my wife. She had reason to in her mind because we didn't know what we know now and she was hurt and she was like, how dare you? <laughs> she thought it was a scam. She thought I was trying to make me look good and her look like the bad girl, like it was all her fault because we were done. We were figured it was over and she thought it was my last minute plan to point all the fingers at her. And uh, isn't it funny how no matter what people think, it doesn't change what you know when you're sincere. So there wasn't one word she could say to steal this experience, joy and elation. I mean, I felt sorry that she felt that way for her, but it didn't even, it was more like, okay. It was actually almost one of them whatever moments, whatever. (laughs) I just wanted to go get alone. I just went in the bedroom because I knew she wasn't coming in there. (laughs) I closed the door. (laughs) I woke up in the morning in love, worshiping Jesus, and out of my heart burst other tongues and I just began to pray and cry and pray real real emotional and aggressive and I knew it was the spirit praying. It was my spirit filled with his spirit speaking divine mysteries, edifying. It was just amazing. I was just standing there praying in tongues and I was just weeping and it was amazing. And then some things came to light and I knelt. Jesus delivered me. Oh, it was just amazing. But it was a separate experience. It was an empowering to be a witness. 
to smell like Jesus. So when you're hunting, the deer just walk right up to you and think you're the creator. <laughs> That's what they told me. It was, oh, I couldn't even believe it. I said, don't tell me that. I'll never be able to hunt. Stop. I've never been in a bar Because, and well, because tongues is the outward evidence in the Bible, and it seems like prophecy and great joy, a lot of times we weigh tongues as the outward evidence whether you did or didn't receive him. You have to receive him by faith. It's not a tongues issue. It's a you want to come upon the issue. You get what I'm saying? So you receive him. So there's been a real stronghold there created in the church. And when people pray, if something doesn't happen that way, they say, oh, well, I guess you didn't get him. And that's where some circles actually say, well, when your vessel gets ready to receive him, he'll come. Or, ah, and he's got all this crazy stuff going on. So I've been convicted lately and, and stirred up in my heart because a while back, I used to do a lot of water baptisms when I was a senior pa- or a, a pastoring, a full-time pastor. I, w- I was associate, but I was on staff pastoring all the time and we did baptisms all the time I can remember it's countless people that would come out of the water praying in tongues but I would teach I would teach both actually and there and I think what happens is when you're pastoring you come into contact with so many discrepancies and strongholds and sometimes it seems to take time to teach through them that sometimes you feel like you're just going to trust God to work that out in people but we know we want them saved and we want them baptized immediately but but Holy Spirit's been stirring me to preach that whole message again and not just only baptized in the name of the Lord as big of a deal as that is but it's good that the Holy Spirit come upon them so you're going to hear me preaching that uh, when I, whenever we do baptism it's going to be the person of the Holy Spirit coming upon them as well and you will be see, receive the Holy Spirit so uh, but I, I, I just know many times people would come out of the water praying in tongues or they'd come out of the water and oh and they know they're clean and washed and will lay hands on them Holy Spirit come and then, you know, it's just fun. In fact, we've had people double dip. They'll come up and they'll be like, and then the Holy Spirit come and they're back down the water. Hey, you don't need to go back down. Get out of the water. <laughs> I remember going to the Y and we had to carry people out of the water. We're carrying them out of the water because they're in the water. <laughs> Get them out of the pool. But uh, it's, it's just awesome. So, wow. Yes. And Acts 8, the next verse after you put reading, says that when Simon saw, so he had, see, had seen something. Yeah, there was an expression. It's probably the evidence of, of either prophecy, extreme joy, some kind of evidence of some impact, other tongues. Yeah, there was some kind of evidence. So when we pick up that, but, but see, you can't limit... You can't limit faith when you read that. You can't say, well, if I don't have, well, then I haven't received. That's what people do. 
Because when Simon saw, so we say, well, it has to have some kind of outward evidence. There has to be some, I'd be very, I'd concern you, or encourage you to be very careful teaching the gospel ever to where there has to be some outward manifestation apart from faith. I would really encourage you to be careful with that. Okay, even though it seems like scripturally and I honor the word and love the word and, and you guys that know me know that I, I, I don't cut corners with the word. The bottom line is you can't, the just shall live by If we ask how much more the Father will give the Holy Spirit to them who ask, it doesn't say, and of course if you had an outward manifestation, prayed in tongues or prophesied or got extreme joy, then you got him. There's a place where you have to sometimes just receive things by faith. It didn't take faith for me in the morning when I'm just bursting out in other tongues. But I have to understand that if that's not somebody's experience, I have to keep them in the place where, yes, he's here, he wants you, he loves you, and you qualify. So that they begin to what? Enter into a communion and relationship and fellowship. I showed you two places back earlier in the school, two places where Paul uses fellowship with the Holy Spirit, right? Right? And then he reveals himself, and that's how you get to know. If I didn't know Jess well, but we hung out a while, we'd get to know one another. That's how that happens, hanging out. Right? So you gotta hang out. So, alrighty? Father, we just bless right now, and we just thank you for your word, and we just thank you for who you are. We just love you and appreciate you. Continue to have your way and do your will and work your wonder in our lives, and we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen, love you guys. Amen, love you guys. Amen, love you guys. Amen, love you guys. Amen, love you guys.